Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, even after 300 episodes, the annuals don't count. Well, uh, you said it there, Mark. You know, one thing I think we can agree on is the centennials definitely count. That's because you are now joining us, if you're listening in, for the 300th episode of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Can you believe it, Mark? We started this experiment with Superior Spider-Man number seven in March of 2013, and now eight years and three months later, which works out to exactly 99 months, we've reached (laughs) episode 300. So that's roughly three episodes a month for eight and a quarter years. We did it, Mark. Episode 300. We did it. And 99 is a lucky number for me, Dan, because that's the year I graduated from high school. So I take that as a good sign. And, you know, to your original point about the Centennials counting, they absolutely do. But if we ever have a 300th annual, it doesn't count. I'm sorry. I mean, if we have a 100th annual, it doesn't count. Like it just, you know, that does not change. Centennial annuals are still annuals and the annuals negate the counting. Well, what's exciting is that we probably won't be here for either of those things. Uh, you know, like what? What are we? Only that we're like sixty. If we're here for a hundred annuals, I mean, you've been either been podcasting for nearly fifty years, which I, I don't think podcasts are going to exist forty years from now. I'm sorry to say, to everybody, the Amazing Spider Talk podcast will likely be canceled by then, unless something has seriously gone wrong. But. Uh, But who knows? Join us on this journey and you can find out if we get to see the 100th annual together in person. That took a turn, Dan. That took a turn. But let's 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 focus on the happy here and the moving forward. And let's start by saying if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app every other week or so. We put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. Now, normally we would say, this is the perfect time to start listening, but that's probably not the case today. It's our 300th episode, so it's going to include lots of reflections on the past 100 episodes, our journey through the years, lots of navel-gazing, Dan and I just patting ourselves on the back and having to get rotator cuff surgery from throwing our shoulders out doing that. (laughs) It is what it is, but this is fun anyway. You know, in the meantime, if you haven't listened yet and you are joining us for the first time today, go back in time 
and re and and re-listen to those episodes, it, you're gonna really enjoy it, right, Dan? I mean, you know, we can we we can we can celebrate ourselves, but also say check out our other stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, Mark, you, we've done some navel-gazing episodes in the past and managed to skirt around being too self-obsessed by burying them in retrospective lists and fabulous interviews with creators. But we've already discussed all the centennials and we're deep in preparation for interviews for our season five. So what are we going to do to fill this 300th episode of the show? We started out and we were a little unsure, but I thought to myself... Why not reach out to someone who knows a lot about 300s, like the 300th issue of Amazing Spider-Man, right? So, sorry, it's not Todd McFarlane, but (laughs) we invited (laughs) back one of our first ever guests on Amazing Spider-Talk, none other than Jim Salakrup, who is uh, a Marvel editor and, and writer and creator from past and present. And he worked on Amazing Spider-Man number 300, and he came on to give us some advice on our own 300th episode. So let's let's take it away to Jim. Well, now let's meet one of our Amazing Spider-Friends, the kind of guy I go to other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. All right, Dan. Well, we we are being joined by a very special guest today. You know, it's our 300th episode. We all know that when it comes to the number 300, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a superstitious guy, Dan. And I, I, I like to honor the 300s when it comes to Spider-Man lore. You know, that was one of my earliest favorite issues of Spider-Man as, as a kid, as a collector. And I know we're kind of struggling through what we really want our 300th episode to be. So I think we should have someone who was involved with what I think is probably the greatest single issue of Spider-Man comics of all time, Amazing Spider-Man number 300. And that, of course, is editor extraordinaire Jim Salakrup. Jim, how are you? And thank you for joining us. I'm a smurf-tastic, and uh, I'm happy to join you, just like a, a symbiote would. well hopefully we're not doing this podcast in our sleep that would be that would be a problem (laughs) well great thanks thanks for coming on the show jim for our 300th episode we haven't interviewed you since our first several episodes i think eight years ago nice to kind of chat with you again about all things spider-man and venom and centennials and so on it's been too long. I've missed you guys. Oh, <laughs> it was it was it was so long ago that uh, Terrificon was in like a hotel ballroom instead of Mohegan Sun. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's back in the day. That's back in the day. Well, well, Jim, we we did want to ask you a couple of questions about your your experience editing uh, Amazing Spider-Man three hundred, and, and as an editor in general, of course. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure the whole. Marvel experience applies, you know, to, to your answers here. But, you know, I thought we would start with, you know, kind of going back in time in the late 80s when you took over as Spider-Book Group Editor. And, you know, there was kind of a period of instability with the, the, the Spider-Book, you know, the Spider-Group at that time. And so when you took it over, you know, I think 300 was, you know, maybe a dozen or so issues on the horizon. And I'm curious, even at that point in time, was like 300 something that, you were kind of being prepared to have to have some some good ideas and you know knew, knew that something big was going to have to be on the horizon i mean was that like kind of 
part of part of taking on the job, so to speak? <laughs> um, not really. Uh, at the very beginning, it was just me uh, trying to get a handle on everything. One of the things uh, that uh, I did as sort of a uh, stopgap measure is that over the years, uh, they've accumulated uh, quite a lot of inventory stories. So to buy myself some time to figure out what I was hoping to do, I managed to uh, use up, not use up all of it, but uh, try to run as much of that as possible, get it out of the way. You know, theoretically, I would have some idea of what I was doing, but in reality, everything is rather organic. You know, you're, you know it's not so much, uh, you know, coming, I mean, we constantly would come up with plans, but the reality was you had to always be flexible. Things would change all the time. Something, you know, you couldn't predict would happen. And then you had to like, you know, figure out what to do because the deadlines were ever present. The biggest issue was that I just didn't like the black and white costume. I think it worked on many levels. I think we talked about that in the past. Uh, but my feeling was that I thought it looked looked like a villain. And uh, I have to give Jim Shooter a lot of credit. He was the editor-in-chief when I started. And he was you know, the one mainly responsible for putting uh, Spider-Man in that black and white costume. I think it was a good move uh, for many reasons. It created a lot of excitement. Uh, there was a whole trend at the time of uh, characters becoming darker and grittier. You know, this literally made Spider-Man darker. There's, there's this thing where sometimes there's a changeover in the audience with, with very young readers always wanting to, uh, you know, be reading the most cutting edge. You know, they, they never want to be accused of reading anything that would be called baby stuff. And, <laughs> Certainly not. And, and as the guy who wrote Spidey Super Stories, you know, like for a lot of kids, you know, like, you know, Spider-Man, that red and blue costume was becoming, you know, sort of like Marvel's Mickey Mouse. And it could have been perceived that way. So the black and white costume, you know, along with Secret Wars and everything that uh, was around it at the time, created lots of excitement. And I think Jim had a really great plan that I, you know, kind of ruined in a way by asking him, you know, could I go back to the red and blue costume? This is this speaks a lot about him. He felt since I was the editor, that he wanted to give me my the freedom to edit the way I I. I saw a fit that would work out best and he agreed to it, but he, you know, he explained to me that he was hoping to keep that black and white costume on Spider-Man for a long time. I mean, past the point where fans would have thought, you know, oh, yeah, they're going back to the red and blue, you know, like have it go back. He wanted it on for years and years. And I think that would have been a great thing. I, and then, then when everyone was just, you know, I guess this is a real thing. He has the, uh, he's in that black and white suit forever. And then uh, presto, you know, this guy would have popped up and uh, he would have gone back to the red and blue, you know, costume and it would have been a big deal all over again. So I, I sort of uh, walked over, trampled over that uh, plan, which I, you know, think was a good one in retrospect, but it was just my my thinking at the time. That tied into sort of everything 
that would happen at 300 one way or another was, you know, my thinking that. The coincidence was when we were looking for uh, a new artist, Todd McFarland came along by sheer coincidence. There's no way I could have masterminded this or known in advance when he was uh, you know, up at Marvel looking for, for work. And I, you know, he came into the Spider-Man office brought in by uh, then executive editor, Mark Runewald. We were very interested, you know, like uh, really like his, his work looked, no pun intended, amazing and exciting. And, you know, this is, you know, someone I, I really wanted to work with. And he, and he, uh, he just said, well, I only want to do it if we do the red and blue costume. It's like, Okay. <laughs> have I got to work news for you? <laughs> well, that, that works out to just uh, perfectly. So in many ways, this has happened to me many times. I've been very, very fortunate. You know, whatever the original plans were, it didn't happen that way. Uh, while I was, you know, scrambling to find out what, what I was going to do with Spider-Man and what have you, there was a um, editorial change above me. You know, suddenly. You know, Jim Shooter was out as the uh, editor-in-chief, and the new editor-in-chief was, uh, you know, Tom DeFalco. That was good for me in that uh, during that chaos, I was able to get away with running the, uh, what later became uh, Craven's Last Hunt, you know, running it through all the Spider-Man titles, which is probably not something either one of them would have let me do (laughs) 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 under normal, if they had more time to think about it. So as, as we were, you know, approaching the uh, 300 issue, you know, for me, it was like, this is great. We got a a great new artist, Todd McFarlane, and we're going to go back to the red and blue costume. It seemed like that was a big deal as Tom was sort of like settling in more. I guess he was having, you know, talks with, all the different editors getting some idea of what was going on at, at Marvel Comics. And uh, and so he he asked, you know, what's going to happen in the 300th issue? And of course, I, I was, uh, you know, happy to have an answer. You don't want to be sitting there in front of your boss. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we were like, uh, I was proud. We, hey, you know, we're going to go back to the red and blue costume. Yay. Slightly underwhelmed, and, <laughs> <laughs> and which is good. You know, a good uh, uh, editor-in-chief, uh, someone in that position, it's great for them to keep challenging their people to come up with, you know, bigger and better stuff. So that was wonderful. And, uh, of course, ultimately it led to the uh, issue that we finally wound up with. And what, you know, what had happened was... Uh, what he said, I, I, I figure the best thing is just ask a, ask the question, not worry about. But anyway, I, I, I feel it's always best to ask. So I thought, uh, well, uh, Tom, <laughs> what what would you like to see in the, the 300th issue? He said it would be great if we could introduce a major new Spider-Man villain. I was pretty familiar with the with the. Uh, long history of Spider-Man at that point. And uh, to my knowledge, and maybe you guys could correct me, but the majority of the major Spider-Man villains sort of came out of uh, 
the early Stanley Steve Ditko issues and a few from the Stanley John Romita issues, even though there, there were hundreds of issues, of, you know, spectacular Spider-Man, web of Spider-Man, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't really think you could say a major new, you know, villain came along. You know, they were just sort of maybe Hobgoblin, which which in my mind was, uh, you know, a reworking of the Green Goblin. But, you know, that type of thing. You know, I, I thought, well, gee, that's, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, like, why don't you ask me to cure cancer? While you're at it? You know, like, uh, you know, it's like this is not an, an easy thing to do. It's, it's like uh, I'm sure almost every comics writer, when they're trying to come up with new villains or are attempting to come up with someone, you know, memorable and it's going to be a major villain for years and years to come. Uh, we figured, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it our best shot. And, and, and honestly, I didn't think we would succeed. I think we would try, give it our best shot. Since we had already been planning the, the costume change, it only made sense that we... Uh, kind of stick with that, you know, and tie it in somehow. The writer, David Michelini, uh, had already been working away. And, and the main thrust was, you know, to be that, you know, going back to the red and blue, mainly because the uh, symbiote had done so many horrible things. You know, the last thing Mary Jane wanted was to see the man she loved uh, dressed up as this really rotten person. You know, there was a lot of stuff already in place to have a dramatic reason. So we just had to come up with, uh, well, now how do we <laughs> work a, a major villain into this? So I had remembered that David had been hinting at uh, another character putting on the, uh, the alien costume and bringing that back, even back when he was uh, writing a Web of Spider-Man. There were a couple of panels here and there, you know, little teasers. But what he was planning to do was, um, you know, having a, a female character wear the costume. Sort of a, not a, a big jump in logic to say, well, since we're planning this costume-themed 300th issue, you know, why don't we go all the way? Really make this Spider-Man never wear that costume again. Well, let's, let's put that costume on someone bigger, meaner, tougher than... Peter Parker, and, you know, come up with a really, you know, scary villain. Uh, one of the tricks, one of the challenges of editing any superhero titles is uh, finding serious threats for your, your characters. You know, if, if, if your hero has defeated a villain like, you know, a thousand times, although that hasn't seemed to hurt uh, Batman and the Joker or Superman and Luthor much, but uh, in some ways, it just you want to come up with you know a character that could really be kind of scary and 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 make your readers you know think you know like this this guy could probably really defeat you know the hero, and uh, so that was the thinking. Over the years, you sort of learn little tricks of how to deal with your creative people. Yeah, you know, this is sort of like you see one of those uh, tropes on uh, cop shows, you know, the old good cop, bad cop. And, and it combined with another trope, the old legal thing, you know, lawyers never ask uh, questions 
that they don't know the answer to. So, so knowing, having worked with Tom for a while, uh, you know, going back to uh, when he first came to Marvel, I was his editor of Marvel two and one when we're doing the, the thing team up stories. And, you know, I, I, I knew what kind of uh, stories he liked and his approach. And I, I was pretty confident going in when I was going to tell him David's idea of like, oh, we'll have, you know, this female, this woman in this uh, Venom outfit. I mean, we didn't call it that at that point, but the black costume, the alien costume, I was 100% confident because uh, my assistant at the time, uh, Glenn Herdling, and I, we had really pretty much decided we want some really big guy who could really be a, a scary threat for Spider-Man in that alien costume. But I wanted David to feel like I gave it a shot, and which I did. I mean, maybe it's a long shot, but it was a right. possibility <laughs> Tom could have said, ah, you know, like nothing you know, particularly when you're when he was asking for a major new uh, Spider-Man villain. So I went in there, laid it out for him, and it was magic. Just what I wanted. Oh, Jim, you know, like uh, make it make it a bigger guy. And, you know, this way, you know, he'll really be, you know, he'll have all of Spider-Man's powers, but he'll be bigger and stronger. And that's, you know, and, and if you really think about it, <laughs> almost. Every superhero has sort of like one of those uh, doppelganger uh, yeah, villains. Bizarro. Yeah. yeah. It just wasn't something that happened too much at Marvel. But, you know, but there were there were uh, examples. There was the uh, Super Scrawl who had all the powers of the Fantastic Four and characters like that, etc. I was able to call David Michelini back up and break the news to him. But, but he's the consummate professional it's like he's like yeah that's fine with me well uh, and from that point on everything was uh completely david michelini uh coming up with his you know who would be that big guy everything you know the name venom even though there was a black panther uh villain that don mcgregor uh had in jungle action but that venom his name ended with two M's, and I believe the final M was silent. But uh, <laughs> after he did the uh, the plot, it was given to that uh, new artist, uh, uh, Mr. McFarland, and he uh, admits now that he didn't realize when he was drawing it that there was a, you know, there was a human guy in there. So he added the mouth and the tongue. He thought it was an alien type creature. And, uh, but that all worked out well. I mean, a lot of times great uh, things happen by mistakes. And, uh, uh, and that I think was an example issues later to get off the 300 subject for a second. It was uh, Eric Larson who sort of elongated uh, Venom's tongue, <laughs> turning him into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the lovable guy he is now. <laughs> so it worked out well. Centennials happen. And, and I guess at, at this point in amazing Spider-Man history, right, there'd only been two, you know, and I, I, I would say that the two so far were, were pretty different in, in terms of their content and, and approach. 
you know, centennials are still relatively rare, although the more time trucks on, the more they keep happening. You know, there's this kind of camp, there's like kind of two camps and sometimes those camps combine, which is like uh, you have the camp of uh, centennial stories that are celebrations of the character, like almost like a look back at the history of the character or some kind of like uh, all encompassing story that checks in with everybody and just kind of puts a party hat on all of it. And then you get this, uh, the centennials that are like a major turning point story, you know, and I, I would say your issue 300 is kind of a little bit of both, you know, it's got a lot of the cast in it. It's got a major moment for Spider-Man, but the return of the red and blues is that kind of big celebratory moment for the character, you know, in, in terms of, you know, putting together like a centennial issue and, I'm not sure quite how many you've you've worked on in in your career. You know, how much pressure do you guys put on yourselves to deliver for those centennial issues and do they mean as much to creators as they as they do to the fans or is it just like the added pressure of like the number is there and we just got to know we got to deliver more than it is like something to look forward to. Most of the creators uh, are are you know myself included are uh, are, are big fans. And so we remember how excited uh, we were and we want to make, you know, everything as uh, as special as we possibly can, whether it's uh, annuals or uh, centennial issues, anniversary issues. You know, I've done a few uh, over the years. I think uh, Thor, Avengers, uh, Fantastic Four, uh, I think FF is maybe 250 or something, but I can't remember. More importantly, the goal was if there was something that was going to drive any sort of extra attention to the title, then we want to do something to take advantage of that attention that will keep the people coming back with these uh, centennial issues. I mean, every comic, we would try everything we could to try to get the audience to come back for more. I mean, that was uh, our, our top priority. We wanted them first to obviously get the issue that we were you know, doing, you know, as much as we wanted them to enjoy it and, and feel like, you know, this was great. I love the story. I like the artwork. We didn't want it to feel like, well, that was nice. Uh, you know, I got my, that was Spider-Man. That was very enjoyable. I could go on and read other <laughs> characters. Now. No, it was very, you know, I used to compare myself, you know, in a, in a weird way. So don't take it out of context to like being a drug dealer, except I didn't have addictive chemicals <laughs> you know, we had to do it by just you know telling you know like like anything we could think of that would be compelling and exciting enough to to make the reader you know want to come back for more and then be involved with the characters and care about what was happening to them so that that was our uh, approach I don't know, Jim, uh, the smell of old comics, my, my brain must be wired a little bit differently because it's certainly addictive to me. I got, I got a real <laughs> problem, Jim. I, I feel the same way. I mean, uh, you know, the truth uh, is it wasn't just a gimmick. You know, it wasn't just speculators. Were there people buying it thinking, oh, it's Spider-Man uh, number one. It might be worth a lot of money. Since that that one, you know, Marvel's gone back to that well so many times. It was funny because uh, when I was editing Spider-Man and being a competitive guy and Todd's a competitive guy, 
you know, there really wasn't anything at any other company for us to compete with. So we were sort of competing with the X-Men. And we had a plan. And three years later, we sort of overtook the X-Men. And uh, we didn't think it was much of a coincidence when maybe a year or so later, the X-Men suddenly came out with uh, an adjectiveless X-Men title, you know, with five different versions, et cetera, you know. And then, then you speed into the future. And uh, Jim Lee's the uh, public co-publisher at DC Comics. Bob Harris is the editor-in-chief, and they put their great minds together. And what do they come up with? We'll relaunch the entire line. Every book will start over again with number one. <laughs> How did that work out, guys? How that work out? <laughs> well, so what you're saying is this shouldn't be our 300th episode. We should really brand this as our first episode. <laughs> there you go. All new, all different. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I'm a, a legacy uh, numbering kind of guy as well. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a... Uh, when we uh, did a Spider-Man number one, it was a whole new title. You know, you know, we kept amazing and spectacular and web of Spider-Man there. You know, they were all going, you know, along their merry way. You know, my only fear, because when I was editing Spider-Man, is I, I truly believed that the challenge was that there were Spider-Fans who uh, looked for certain things all the time. So how do you satisfy them and making without making the issues boring, you know, dull, you know, like uh, repetitious? You know, how do you make it new and exciting, you know, to keep them coming back? You know, I admired lots of the different uh, approaches. I mean, I loved uh, when Doc Ock and Spidey, yeah, the superior Spider-Man. I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I thought it was... Uh, you know, had echoes of uh, uh, Craven's Last Hunt in it, but uh, as I told uh, Mark DeMattis, there are echoes of uh, you know Stanley and Steve Ditko's uh, Spider-Man sequence where he's lifting that machinery when when Spider-Man Peter Parker crawls up out of the grave in Craven's Last Hunt. So that's okay, you know. I, I, I you know, he, he's a great character. I love all the stuff that's happening with him. You know, not that everyone should do everything the same way, but I think, uh, you know, I, I, we, we, we try to make ours as uh, accessible to new readers as possible. Whereas I, I think sometimes uh, current stuff may be like just accepting that, well, we have our audience and, uh, <laughs> you know, they know what's going on. And, you know, this will all be collected in trade paperback. <laughs> Well, Jim, my next question, you, I think you've kind of alluded a little bit to your answer here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you point blank anyway. I mean, so obviously following Amazing Spider-Man number 300, you know, it, I, I think it's considered a period of great posterity for Spider-Man and the Spider-Books. And, you know, you had your, your costume back, you had the new villain who was pretty exciting to much to Tom DeFalco's pleasure. You had this dynamic creative team with Michelini and McFarlane. I mean, do you feel that like 300, it's, you know, the comic itself was really kind of what kickstarted this like next gear for Spider-Man? I mean, or do you feel that there were other factors at play? In all the books, there were like little things happening that were a little unexpected. So yes, I, I think it was all the things together. I think 
having regular writers. So, you know, having good coordination between the titles, having, you know, an exciting artist, uh, you know, with McFarlane sort of leading the way, was bringing a lot of attention back to the series. And organically, you know, I mean, it just kept increasing. And then there were all sorts of crazy, I mean, uh, again, we couldn't have, we didn't see it coming, but uh, as much as I wanted to do a weekly Spider-Man comic, you know, just one, because I felt strongly about that for all sorts of reasons, you know, uh, the, the salespeople came back and said, tell you what, during the summer, you could do you know, double the amount of issues. I remember racking my brain like, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Amazing. During the summer, it's going to be six issues. What can I do for six issues? And then it occurred to me, like the Sinister Six, and uh, and I couldn't believe they'd never actually been brought back be, before. Uh, I think the Falco had done like what was it, the Sinister Syndicate or something like that. But but the actual original uh, Sinister Six that was, uh, you know, oh, you know, once once you, you think of it, you just can't. Uh, and uh, again, Michelinie, McFarland, everyone else uh, involved at such a I mean, that was just fun. That was exciting. I, and I hoped it was obvious to the readers how much fun we were having on it because we were enjoying it. And I, and I think it became contagious and, and it helped, you know, uh, increase uh, our sales. And, and, and you know, it, 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 but, but I guess one can make the, the argument because that, that, that 300 was at a crucial point where, uh, McFarlane was making his presence known. So, you know, all my talking about 300 there was about Venom, yet at the same time, it was a, an ideal showcase for this new artist, you know, on Spider-Man, Tom McFarlane. So, like, it was, you know, layered, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, like, you know, Todd being uh, involved, I think, was, uh, you know, a big a big deal. I mean, it was a different look. And I think, I think what had happened was, you know, Spider-Man pretty much had, you know, that Ditko era, then Ramita came on. And since Ramita was the art director, even while McFarlane was on the book, there was almost like a, a respectful, you know, we got to do this, you know, Ramita defined a character and that's, you know, I love the Ramita Spider-Man tremendously. And I've worked with uh, John for years on so many things. Sometimes it's uh, misconstrued. One of the things that's necessary for ongoing serialized uh, fiction is the so-called illusion of change. Technically, there was a change. It was a new art style. But at the same time, we were trying to put everything in that was true to Spider-Man you know, in every possible way, you know, even going back to the red and blue costume, you know, when uh, Todd was drawing that, he has said often that in his mind, he was trying to uh, evoke Ditko, but with sort of like the, the bulkier Jack Kirby type dynamics, when he actually went back and looked at the comics, it's interesting his, what, how he remembered them, which is what he drew was not what those books look like. But what he came up with was, uh, I think, uh, I mean, 
every single person working on those comics was really thinking it through and, and, and touching every angle. And, uh, and, and we were all, you know, benefiting from each other and enjoying working with each other. I've said it before. One of, you know, Todd's, uh, amazing talents is uh, he hasn't let go of what uh, say an 11 year old thinks is really cool. You know, even though everything in issue 300 was in Michelinie's plot, theoretically you could have given that to any artist and they would have drawn that story. I think some of them maybe would have done less than what was in the plot. Some of them would have given you exactly what was in the plot. And Todd and maybe a handful of others, you know, went beyond and, and, and really made it come alive in a, a very powerful, visceral way in that I think it succeeded in doing something incredibly difficult and, and getting, you know, the fans to worry about Oh my gosh! You know, uh, Spidey's re really in some serious trouble here. You know? That's so, it. The book's over. He's gone. <laughs> he won't survive. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone always knows that. I mean, like, right, uh, right. there's a, a a BBC series I just finished uh, binging a little while ago. Uh, uh, Peaky Blinders. Have any of you seen that? I, have uh, I haven't seen it, but I know about Dan it. Has. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, one of the things they do so well is exactly what I've been talking about in that, you know, they do it totally fair, you know, like they'll set things up and they'll give you like a cliffhanger where even if I didn't want to binge it and I, I tried not to, because I wanted to spread them out so I can enjoy it for as long as possible. You know, there were some nights I go home, my reward would be, let me watch an episode of this. And the ending was so good. It pulled me in. You know, I know it's a, uh, you know, a TV series and certain characters have to survive, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'd be watching this and I'd say, I, I, how is he? It's impossible. How is he going to get out of it? How is he going to survive? <laughs> this is, mm -hmm. you know, they really, really would. And, and they, they'd surprise me and I loved it. And I just couldn't get enough of it. It was like a, like a drug, <laughs> like I was talking about. I, I need more now that I have to wait for more episodes. I'm, uh, I'm uh, experiencing uh, withdrawal syndromes. <laughs> so Mark kind of started us off in this conversation by, you know, suggesting 300 is one of the best issues of Amazing Spider-Man ever, and I, I wouldn't push back against that really at all. It's a favorite of mine uh, as well. We have been podcasting now for eight years and change, and which is three years and change longer than Mark wanted to. So we're we're at our three hundredth episode, and you've you know, I mean, if we're going to use Amazing Spider Man as a model, like three hundred has a lot to live up to. Like, what advice would you give us in terms terms of creating a centennial? Like, what are some of the key tenets that we should keep in mind as we? create something special for our listeners? Well, uh, aside from having me on as your guest, uh, <laughs> or all of you, uh, you know, wearing uh, alien costumes, uh, you know, the, the, the key thing is to uh, everything I've been talking about before. I mean, I, I think you're doing it. I think uh, you guys are, are in touch with your audience and you know what they like and don't like. And, and, and just continue doing that. I think it all works. It all 
covering issue 300. Uh, brilliant idea. Which one, of you, which one of you came up with that? I'll give Mark the credit for that. He's got uh, 300 say, on the brain. We're, we're symbiotic when it comes to our, our content. So we're each pulling each other's strings. I was going to say the other thing we might need for 300 is like Tom DeFalco screaming at us to come up with something better, right? Would that be a, a nice little yeah, addition? Yeah. And if we could have had David and uh, Todd and uh, Rick Parker and Bob Sharon and um, Oh, uh, what a it, team! It, 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 what like the, the Marvel TV shows? Uh, how many podcasts uh, you know appear instantly after you know an episode airs? And you know people just want to get into it and look for all the uh, hidden meanings and what'll happen next. I think Marvel's mastered that with their TV series. Uh, they're doing a great job, and the Easter eggs are wonderful. You know our uh, Easter eggs uh, were, were mostly. Uh, you know, due to Todd, where, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to hide uh, Felix and, uh, you know, in every issue. One of the things there was uh, a Todd McFarlane uh, uh, exhibit at the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art in New York City. And we had a, uh, a Felix the Cat plush that we hid amongst the. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. And, and the other thing we love to do was, uh, you know, taken from. Uh, Two sources primarily was like Playboy used to hide the rabbit head on all their covers. And there was a um, uh, theatrical cartoonist, he hated to be called a cartoonist, uh, Al Hirschfeld, who he would uh, put his daughter's name, Nina, in, into the illustration somewhere. So Todd started hiding uh, spiders. I told him, I mean, we directly copied Hirschfeld and I said, you know, people were enjoying finding the Ninas, but they didn't know when to stop I and mean, how many were there. So Hirschfeld would sign it and put the number of Ninas were in that particular illustration. So Todd started, you know, it'll say McFarlane, and then he put the number of spiders that were hidden on that cover. So my point of view, the more you could, you know, pour into uh, a particular comic, uh, you know, the more fun you can make it. I mean, right down to uh, having a letters page. I commend the uh, current Spider-Man editors uh, for years now. They, they mostly have been having uh, letters pages, which is almost uh, non-existent in most comics. So uh, my, uh, my hat is off to them. So I, I really appreciate those because uh, I think it helps. I think it, it's like the most instant feedback, even if it's a, uh, to a previous issue, you got the editor's voice saying what's going to happen in the next issue. What, you know, trying to guide the reader. Now, you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> of course, I, I wouldn't Absolutely. have Mark for three extra years if he wasn't. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in it to win it now, Dan. You know that. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, well, Jim, thanks. Well, do you so ever? Let me. I'm sorry. I know you want to end it. Uh, let me ask you all a quick question. Do you ever question like? Yeah, I've been doing this Spider-Man thing, 300 podcasts now. I'm sick of them, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, maybe we should be doing, uh, you know, uh, some other character or what have you. What What's keeping you, you know, focused on old webhead? 
I'll let I Mark mean, per- go first. I would say personally, I'm 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 too much of a crank for me. It's like, oh, I couldn't get that invested in another character again at this point in my life. I'm too. I spent too much of my life uh, in collecting and reading and investing in Spider Man. If I was to get another interest, I would probably just burn out from it. <laughs> let me respond to that. I was in a meeting before I left Marvel with Stanley and Steve Ditko, and Stan was asking. Steve, uh, why, why, you know, we should do another, you know, issue of Spider-Man. It would sell great. It'd be wonderful. Yeah. Steve said he can't go back to how, how invested he was before. He had been so long that he just couldn't give it everything he had this time. So he'd rather not do it. So it's almost the opposite of what you're saying. But <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, but I, it was, you know, a lot of people, like, like, you know, didn't understand Steve and, uh, I think he was very clear. I think I understood that, you know, like uh, when I was uh, editing Spider-Man, my office was sort of like, you know, your guys, you know, even more so. I had tons of Spider-Man stuff everywhere. And people would, you know, sometimes, you know, very sincere looking out for me, say, you know, Jim, what are you going to do? That day will come. Maybe you're not editing Spider-Man anymore. And I said, it doesn't matter. You know, I love Spider-Man. I, Spider-Man was here before me. Spider-Man will be here long after I'm gone. And whatever characters I work on, you know, I'm going to give it 100%. I enjoy it. You know, like uh, I, I was uh, really happy working on Spider-Man. I, I felt we got it to a point where it was uh, more successful than it had been for years. So it was a good time for me to move on. And But I, I still love Spider-Man. So uh, you know, I'm glad to hear, uh, you know, I'm always happy if I'm on the street and I see a little kid with a Spider-Man T-shirt or sneakers or backpack. It's like I just keep thinking back to how much uh, Stan and Steve would have loved seeing that. For me, it's almost gone beyond Spider-Man at this point. I mean, obviously, one of the key th- tenets of the show is like Mark and my friendship, which I think is I don't think we'd be friends even without the show, Mark. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. (laughs) There's something normalizing about having a routine with a friend. I talk to Mark more than I talk to my family. So, uh, (laughs) you know, it's become a relationship like that. And the discussions are are almost it's funny. I I often say and I don't know if I express this enough to you, Mark, is like uh, I feel like we often aren't talking about Spider-Man very much on our Spider-Man show (laughs) um, because we're often talking about like narrative form and, and storytelling and culture and things. It just so happens to be through the lens of Spider-Man. And that's not to say that the character is diminished any in, in, in my estimation, I love the character. And when I get a good Spider-Man story, I don't think there's a character that I can connect with more than this guy, but, but it's, it's almost, it's evolved beyond that. Like what started as a curiosity of talking about Spider-Man has become like a way to view the world. And, and that's kind of what keeps me going. Yeah. I remember when I was editing Spider-Man, I honestly, I didn't feel I was editing as much as uh, I was Spider-Man's manager. And uh, <laughs> every, everything I was doing was to promote Spider-Man in general. I wanted him to be successful everywhere. Uh, I don't think I have to worry about that any longer, but when you mentioned your friendship, there was a uh, spinoff title way back when uh, they when they gave Manwolf his own series, and uh, there were some, you know, 
not the most memorable early issues, but then a, a guy came on named David Anthony Kraft uh, with this artist, uh, new artist at Marvel, George Perez. And they really sort of uh, did some surprising and exciting stuff. Uh, Dave recently passed away uh, last week and uh, he was a very good friend of mine. So uh, uh, I, t I totally understand uh, how, you know, comics can, can bring people together and, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it, there's so many aspects of uh, comics that probably aren't uh, talked about that are, that are a major part of it. And I, I, I miss Dave and it was, uh, uh, we did all sorts of crazy things together. We worked on the, the Spider-Man Hulk toilet paper. We did Spidey super stories, you know, we, uh, Spider-Man has, uh, been, uh, part of my life, uh, you know, for a long time. So, uh, as was Dave and, uh, you know, I wish he was still here. So I just wanted to mention that he was, he was a great editor and writer and, uh, it was, a uh, you know, he he'll be missed. Well, hmm. I'm sorry for your loss, Jim. It sounds like you have a lot of great memories with, with Dave. And even if I, I, I really don't want to know much more about the Spider-Man Hulk toilet paper. I just, <laughs> um, well, well, Jim, thank well, you. Well, we so always said if you didn't like it, you knew what you could do. <laughs> Perfect. Well, well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us for this special episode. You made it even more special. Are our listeners wanted to kind of follow you anywhere or read anything you're I'm, working I'm on, on currently? I'm on Facebook. What I'm working on for the past uh, almost 20 years now, almost uh, uh, as long as I was at Marvel, is uh, paper cuts. And we're focused on doing uh, graphic novels, great graphic novels for all ages. And uh, part of that is... Uh, you know, making sure there are future generations of comics fans. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've always had an interest in, um, kids' comics from when I was working on Spidey Super Stories to all sorts of other things. So, so papercuts.com, you can find out all about all the stuff we're doing for the older fans, such as you guys. I think you'd really enjoy the, uh, I, I don't know if you follow Asterix at all. Uh, Asterix and, uh, and Obelisks. Yes. Yeah. 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 We're doing new versions of that uh, with a new translation. And uh, that's that's uh, been very exciting for us. And I think uh, uh, that's gotten the most older audience, uh, older readers for us. And uh, we're enjoying that. But but it's a classic example of a of a series that works well for both uh, you know, kids and adults, which I, I always thought Spider-Man uh, even before, I, I remember working on Spidey Super Stories thinking they're doing a version of Spider-Man for kids. Spider-Man, <laughs> when I was a kid. Was for kids. I, yeah, I mean, it was forever, you know, the, I think it, I think all ages is, is something that has become a euphemism, you know, like for just kids. But uh, I think there, there were comics that really were for all ages and, and Spider-Man was one. And Asterix and Obelisk is a good example of that. I, I will second your claim because uh, those books uh, have great nostalgia for me and, and, and always felt like, uh, like something evergreen you could always return to. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I hope people will check out some of your Paper Cuts books. Uh, thanks for all the advice for our 300th episode. 
Well, I mean, just listening to you guys, uh, you know, even when you're not talking about Spider-Man, this sounds like a great show. So, uh, you know, you, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. You got me hooked. I'm going to start. <laughs> Here we go, Jim. Thank Listen you so, so much. Everybody. We will thank have you to have guys. you back again. It won't be eight years next time, I promise. <laughs> well, congratulations on your 300th episode. That You must be doing something right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Jim. And we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Before we get back to the show, we wanted to remind you about our Slack. What is Slack, you might be asking? Well, it's basically a place to hang out and talk with fellow Spider-Man and comic friends in a safe, fun, and free app on your phone. In fact, hundreds of our listeners, like you, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the amazing Spider-Slack. Again, this community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, Mark, I'm addicted to the Slack. I had to turn off notifications because I was spending all day on it. It basically became my go-to when I don't want to bug you about some new crazy Spider-Man theory. But that doesn't mean you all shouldn't join it and meet all kinds of awesome people. And, you know, if you want, even talk to me. See, I set myself aside from all those awesome people. This is the only part of the podcast where I'm not patting myself on the back. So if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi And once you're there, be sure to let us know what you think of this new episode. Speaking of this new episode, let's get back to episode 300 of the show. Hey, Mark, that was really awesome of you to find Jim Salakrep and bring him on the show. I think he's given me a much better idea of what I want to do with this episode 300 to kind of like use it as a celebration uh, of things and, 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 and bring in a lot of new ideas. Yeah, and to find your old costume and put that on too, right, Dan? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you brought on an editor, right? I mean, maybe it was a, an editor of Amazing Spider-Man comics, but, like, I want to bring on a guest too. I want to bring on my own editor. In fact, it's our editor. It's our third Beatle I guess, I guess if you, if you want to make a Beatles analogy, you, you just keep coming um, up with Beatle analogies, Dan. I can't keep up. <laughs> I know there's just so many Beatles here, left, right, and center. But yes, our editor Rick Coast, who you may hear me mention at the end of all the episodes. But I, you know, I think bringing on Rick one, it would be great to introduce him to everybody here because they don't really know him yet. And two, like he has to listen to us every week to these shows. You know, and he might really know what we need to do on this show. Like he might really have a great idea for us on what to make out of episode 300. What do you think about that? You know what, Dan? I I, I think that's a great idea. I've always wanted to hear from Rick. I mean, I don't you know, I'm not one to really take much advice, but I'll listen. I'll listen to Rick. Okay. I mean, we listened to Jim. Now let's listen to you and Rick and maybe we can get a sense of what we're doing in the show. All right. That sounds like a good plan. Well, welcome to the show, Rick Coast. This has been a long time coming. I'm so thrilled to have you on for episode 300. Again, for those of you who don't listen to the end of the show where we read Rick's name, and Rick used to make an, an audible appearance for, you know, several dozen episodes. You know, Rick is our awesome, amazing, adjectiveless editor. I don't know why I started with awesome there because it's not an awesome Spider-Man book. I like shifted the joke mid midway, 
Rick, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about yourself and like the, you know, the, what the various projects maybe you've worked on, like where did you come to us from and how did you get here? Because like I said in the intro, you're our third Beatle. You are keeping the show alive. And I, I do think that people deserve to know a little bit more about you. Well, thanks, Dan. That was a, that was a cool intro. Um, and to both you and Mark, you know, congrats on episode 300. I mean, episode 300 is a big deal. I mean, that's that's huge. And, I, and you know, before I answer your question, I'm trying to think back to when I started editing the show. And I don't recall. It Was it 100 episodes ago? Do you remember? I don't think it was episode 200, but it was probably shortly thereafter. Okay. All right. So it seems like it's been a while. But anyways, to answer your question. So, yeah, I, um, I've been podcasting since 2012. I started with uh, a philosophy podcast, switched to a science-related podcast. And then I actually, for a very, very short period of time, had a Spider-Man podcast because I've, I've always been a, a huge fan of, of the comics. Uh, and that's it was shortly after starting my own show, that I discovered your show. And at the time it was called Superior Spider Talk. And <laughs> to be honest, my show was didn't rate when compared to, to yours. So I put that on hiatus shortly after hearing your show. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no. I'm that's sorry. A, it's a good thing. It's, we didn't. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I, I had nothing to add to uh, to what you guys were, were doing. And it was a fun show, yeah. Rick. I listened to all the episodes. <laughs> Thanks. But I, uh, I loved your your show. And I listened to it for years. And there was a, also, you, you might remember this, because I'm also a writer, for another short period of time, I did a couple articles for your website. But then I, I had so many projects going on with podcasts, and I, I moved into audio drama. That's uh, what I'm known for the most, is for writing and producing for audio drama. The, the most famous right now being The Behemoth. So if nobody's checked out The Behemoth, check out The Behemoth, and, and you'll know what I I've been up to. I will second yeah. that uh, wholeheartedly. The behemoth uh, saved me on a drive back from Mexico. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, just <laughs> listening to it, uh, a story of a journey yeah. on, on your my own journey. Own journey. <laughs> uh, it was Very a, meta. a really wonderful experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the only way I do things, don't you know, that's Rick? So, you've been so editing true. us long yeah, enough. So true. Yeah. So so yeah. So then um, you know, flash forward a few years and. Again, listening to your show, as I did constantly, um, I reached out to you. As you remember, just out of the blue, I said, hey, I, I don't know if you need any help editing the show, but but I'd love to help. I, and it came as, from what I hear, the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, you you saved my life and the show, Rick. I it, mean, it was meant to be. I, I hate to like, it was meant to be because like I literally that week had, had a conversation with my wife like, maybe the show will have to stop or be put on pause for the next year or two because of the change that we were having in our life. And then days later, I got that email from you and my wife described me kind of like dancing around the room <laughs> uh, because like, I, I love this show. I can't imagine my life without it. And also knowing you and the level of professionalism you bring to your projects, it wasn't just like, 
saving me as a replacement. It was like a net gain. Yeah, that's cool. I, I saw yeah, it yeah. as. So that was really and, neat. So sorry, anyway. I, no, keep, it's just, it was exciting Nick. for me. I, I mean, I just, as I said, I've been a huge fan of the show, always have been, still am, even editing it. I still feel like a listener because it's, you know, it, especially the interviews. I, I love the uh, the interview episodes uh, just as much as I, I love the review episodes. But the interview episodes are, are special to me, especially getting to to hear you guys are great interviewers by the way uh in pulling you know some stories out of the uh the person you're talking to that i've never heard before and you know and i've read a lot of their you know interviews online and such um so it does seem like you guys uh do a, a either do your homework ahead of time and know what's happened prior um and try to steer them in different ways but um, you do manage to to surprise me at times with with, with what you get and you shape them really well. I mean, uh, the the interviews are sort of a magic trick because and I'm sure you've realized this is there are some people that you can completely change the way they sound on a show by shaping the interview and removing the pauses and the the tangents. And you've been excellent about that. I was always very strict on myself about the editing and you've really taken that charge. I couldn't ask for more because there's a version of the show where we could just slap the audio files together. And that's very much not what you do. And I think it's kept the show consistent with what it was before without killing me. Uh, that was a weird, like pat on my own back, uh, uh, rather than a pat on your back. But I meant it as like, a, Rick, you are making the show better than it was and keeping it consistent. Then I'm doing my job. So, okay. So, so you reached out to me and, you know, I guess I want to know, like, you know, people are going to probably wonder like, okay, well, why is this guy, you know, his voice isn't on the show. What, what does, what, what kind of buy-in does he have? Like, what, what do you get out of working on a show like this? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what it is? It really goes back to being a fan of, of both the content and the show itself. I mean, that was the only reason I reached out. I wasn't looking for for anything other than to help out. Even back in when I was writing a few articles for, for your website, it, it was that was fun for me. Then it just got to be too much because uh, I had other writing projects going on. But I always wanted to be involved uh, with what you and Mark were doing. So this was one way to do so. I'll admit there are times where it's overwhelming when when when, when, the, when the files are, are huge, but that's okay. I mean, it's a good overwhelming. I mean, it's 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 what I do. I enjoy doing it. It's just fun, you know. And I get up at four a.m. every morning, so that's the only time I have to get all of the editing work done, my own projects and and such. So before my I do have a full time day job. So before my day job starts, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm. I'm working on either this show or one of my own or uh, that. So what I get out of it is just being involved in doing it. And I'm not really a, although I do my own shows and, and I have hosted a few shows, they're scripted and such. I'm not like an interviewer or I can't do what you and Mark do. Yeah, you put it that way. So I couldn't sit there in front of a mic and kind of talk for an hour and ad hoc my way through it. I usually have to sit down and think, and that could be more of the introverted part of me. So that's why you don't hear me. And, you know, for the listeners out there, you don't hear me on the mic as much. I'm more of a behind the scenes guy. Well, it's a shame because of of the three of us, I think you probably have the best voice for radio. Oh, Jesus, funny. (laughs) (laughs) 
what's what's your favorite element of like editing the show? I mean, is, I mean, and not just like your favorite thing because it sounds like you really like the interviews, but like, what do you like to bring to the edit personally? Well, the 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 part, and I'd say this is something I do enjoy about doing it is I'm you know over the years I've gotten I'll pat myself on the back uh, I've gotten very good at mixing people who aren't in the same room. And that's a, and especially with audio drama, where I work with a cast or have worked with a cast of um, voice artists that are international. You know, they could be in Canada, could be in the UK and such, and they'll send me their files and I'll stitch them together. But they're all coming from different setups. They're on different mics, they're in different rooms, they have different environments. So they all sound slightly different. And the trick is if when they're in the same, you want them to sound like they're in the same space. So it takes a lot of tweaking and and such to have that happen sometimes it's impossible if someone has a bad setup i mean there's almost nothing you can do and and luckily i haven't run into that because i worked with um very professional people but that's one of the things i love about the show is is really mixing it i, I it's for me it's fun some people hate the editing and the mixing piece of, of podcasting um the, the technical side of things that's the part i love uh, so when when I do get the files and I sit down and grab my coffee and and get prepared to to polish the files up, it's relaxing. It's it's fun and and plus I enjoy the content. So like I said, there there are times when when I'm editing the show that I kind of forget that hey I'm supposed to be editing this and I'm too busy listening. <laughs> so especially like like recently, I there was it was a very recent one of the review episodes. I was really curious to hear your take on something and I completely forgot to edit. So and for for the people out there, one of the things I edit is is like like you know, Dan had mentioned this, some of the spaces or the ums or the ahs, if I'll edit those out. But so get back to what happened is I was listening to this review review episode, really into what was going on in about a minute or two minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, I completely forgot what I was doing. And I had to go back and like, was there any ums? Did I miss any ahs? And so yeah, I get caught up in the show. So it's, again, it's a, it's a way for me to still listen to the show and be involved in the show. So speaking of ums and us, if you had to choose like a cardinal sin from from me and Mark, like what 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 would you identify it as? The cardinals. Well, the ums are the biggest thing, but that's I I, I notice myself doing it now just as we're talking, and I've caught I've right. caught myself. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to edit that out later. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so so I so I, I do hear it, but that's the cardinal sin is the ums. Uh, another one which I don't edit out is the likes and you're and you're you're notorious for saying like you know you know i i am very bad about it i think there have been periods where i've gotten better and i've become more conscious and i think when i was editing the show i became even more conscious of my likes because i had to edit it but now now i'm just unloading it on you <laughs> yeah, Rick. you don't have to worry about uh, it right and that's the that's yeah. the funny thing because i can i'll notice it and i can it's it's usually towards the end of the show, and that's probably when you're getting the most relaxed or tired, and that's when they start to slip out. Same with Mark. There, there are certain, there are certain shows where the editing's pretty smooth. There aren't that many ums, but then there are others where I'm thinking maybe they recorded this late at night because there's a lot of ums out there. Or, or, or if there's a piece of content that I can tell, I can almost tell that maybe you're not completely comfortable with what you're talking about, or maybe haven't 
I'm not sure, formulated your thoughts, there'll be a few ums in there. So I can, I know when to anticipate them just based on, on what's, what's being said. Uh, and I also, plus you get, and you know this, as when you're looking at a waveform on a computer screen, you can almost spot the ums before they even show up. So you can just zero in on them. But that's going back to your question. The cardinal sin is the ums, but that's with everybody. Although I will say, Alan almost, Alan Scherstel almost never says um. Once in a while he does, but he's a consummate professional when it comes to, to speaking on a mic because very little editing there. Well, that's just because Alan is so smart. You know, he, he never has to think about anything. He's just a genius. Yeah. And that's why we, we bring yeah, him on. I'm going to edit this pad out because we're going to give him a big head. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, never. Alan is also very humble. But uh, and I don't care. I, I'll tell it to him to his face yeah. how, how brilliant I think he is. There's the there's an um right yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious, you know, fond memories of the past 100 episodes, like fun moments for you or like or things you've enjoyed the most in, uh, that have uh, kind of stayed lodged in your mind. I would say, well, the John Romita Jr. interview was was stellar. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that both as, as as a fan, as an editor, as that was that was a fun show. The annuals. I, I know that there's probably um, mixed responses with the with the fans out and listeners out there, but those episodes were a blast. Especially the first one. I was very. I have to say, I was very very proud of the first one, and a lot of that has to do with the writing of it. Made it very easy for me to to put it together after I received the script from you. That was a lot of fun, and I was proud with how it sounded. It sounded like an like an episode of Serial. It came out in my estimation exactly like it so i was very proud of that that's a that's the if i were to put together some type of proposal for some kind of project someday that someone wanted to pay me for i would probably pull those out and say here's an example of work i've done i, I was that proud of those uh, so that that was definitely a highlight. I, I want to highlight here because I don't think Rick is going to trumpet his own efforts like i sent him this insane script for the, for the annual, which is caught somewhere between fantasy and reality. And, you know, Rick, you know, to his part, had great in, uh, input. But then, you know, what I didn't realize was I thought Rick would like go to like a sound library somewhere and, you know, pull in clips and things, you know, to, to build out this world. And, you know, the, the episode came a little bit later than I was expecting. And I'm not in any way upset about it because I found out that Rick records his own like Foley effects and, and sounds for the episode. Like he is a consummate professional. All of the sound effects you hear in that episode are things that Rick is actively producing. So like, tell us a little bit about that. What are some of the sound effects that you created for that show that you remember the process of making? Them? I do. One of them, I believe it involved Aaron running. Uh, there was somebody ran and <laughs> you know, tested. Yeah, yeah. Aaron runs to clear her mind. Okay, so there was an ep there was a piece of running, and I most of my recording equipment's on the second floor of where I live. So I and and I didn't do it for this specific episode, but I had to buy a like a I think it's a seventy foot long mic cord so I could hang it out my window and bring it all the way down into the lawn, which is two stories below. 
and hook up a mic. So I'm catching the ambiance of the birds or being outside. And, and I ran by that mic multiple times. If anyone went by, they would think, <laughs> what the hell's that guy doing? <laughs> He's just running back and forth on his lawn because they wouldn't see the mic because the mic's really low placed. So I'll do things like that. And, and that's one I particularly remember. I, I did cheat. Uh, I think there was also something where I had to have wasn't there a horse on a cobblestone or there was a that, there that was, I, cheated. Yes. I didn't get an actual horse. <laughs> so, okay. So, all right. That's so, fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you slide for yeah, that. So one. once in a while I will have to pull something from a sound library, which, which I have a big one for audio drama, but, but whenever possible, I like to create my own. So in a, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, annual work, for that episode was done outside because there were a few outside scenes and I remember being outside to do those. It's been, how, how long ago was that? Was that a year and a half? So I'm testing my memory a bit. It was about a year about ago, year I think, ago. yeah. All right, so yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that, those were, that was some of the highlights I remember. I mean, it's a favorite episode of mine, which we talk about, and we're recording this out of order for those who are listening. But we're going to talk a lot about the annual episodes and uh, what they what they mean for the show. I mean, that that's one of the big things is like bringing you on has allowed me to kind of feel like, hey, I can stretch my creativity a little bit and I can do weird audio drama things and and ask for Rick to throw in the kindred alarm, which <laughs> you should add in right now, um, you know, and uh, and know that like. One, I'm not going to be editing it, so I have more time to be actually investing in the creative ideas behind it. And two, that Rick is going to do an incredible job with it and come up with something amazing. And Rick, I promise to give you more time to work on these things <laughs> in the future um, instead of just ramming, yeah. ramrodding you. Yeah, with it's them. it's but, been um, fine. Yeah. Um, those have been really fun. I thought that the, you know, just just everything has been really great. And I can't wait to see as we continue to collaborate, uh, what, what more, you know, we, we can do together. Um, any other fond memories you want to revisit before we, we say goodbye? Fond memories. They're, they actually all are. I, I can't single out anything in particular. Nothing sticks out. And also, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, uh, if you were to ask, are there any any memories I have where I was like, oh, do I realize to do this now or today? Never. I, I've never once, you know, edited an episode or an interview or a review show where I thought, no, I just really don't have time for this. It's, I, and I've been honest with you, if there's been a couple of days where I'm like, hey, this is going to be a little bit late because I've got this going on. But, uh, and, and usually I'll, I'll say that knowing that I'll probably get it done quicker, but at least I'll put the, I'll put the expectation <laughs> out there that, hey, it might be two days knowing full well, I'll get it to you within 24 hours. But uh, I hope I'm not a slave driver of a boss. <laughs> Absolutely like. <laughs> not. No, no. And and I, I I should tell I should tell people here's a fond memory and fully unexpected because when I do this I don't expect anything in return. To be honest, I like I said I do this as a fan of the show, but Dan has sent me some. He one day he asked me, Hey Rick, what is uh what are your what are your favorite Spider-Man comics from from the past? Your favorite? What are your favorite issues? And I. I was reading Spider-Man's in the in the 1970s, so most of my you know, early memories and favorite issues are of the Ross Andrew time when when Ross Andrew was was uh, the artist behind behind the book. So Dan asked me, "What are what are your favorite favorite issues?" So I, I gave him a small list, saying, "You know, I love this, you know, this particular one, and 
and he sent them all to me. So he goes, hey, you're going to have something show up in the mail. And it was like Christmas, you know, and, and it brought me back to my childhood because I no longer have those issues, which I, I kick myself about. I got rid of them years and years and years ago. It's it's it was a nice surprise. It, it was like it was like I was, felt like a kid at Christmas and, and my wife didn't get it. I'm like, hey, look what I got in the mail. She's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. well, it was the least I can do, Rick. Your addition to the show has been so meaningful to me. I think the real story that we're burying here is a time that we met up in San Diego, which was really it fun. Was fun. Uh, you you just had joined the show and, you know, we had a great time out and you learned just how much of a lightweight I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, we had like a couple of drinks and, you know, uh, the one consistent thing about amazing spider talk is anytime Dan drinks, bad things happen. Um, but, uh, now we have a kind of like inside joke, which is now going to be broadcasted outward where you will always send me a image of a beer glass uh, when you finish an edit and I will send you back an emoji of me vomiting. So uh, now everybody so knows good. the dirty little secret. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. That's um, awesome. So, so yeah. Rick, you know, we went to Jim Salakrup for, for some advice for episode, you know, 300 and, you know, he's an editor uh, of comics, but you're an editor of podcasts. So like, what do you think we should be doing for episode 300 after we're done interviewing you and Jim and so oh, on. So I get to bring somebody on? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can bring on whoever oh, you okay. want. Okay, I, I already know who I want to bring on because I, I, I actually mentioned his name a few minutes ago, Alan Sherstel. I'd love to bring him on the show just, just because it'll be easy to edit after. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll do you that favor. Right. We'll bring on Alan Yes, next. that's great. Thank you. Thank you again, Rick, for, for coming on. I hope we can make this more frequent. And and if people want to follow you on the internet, where would they do so? You can actually follow everything I do at rickcoast.com. That's R-I-C-K-C-O-S-T-E.com. Uh, and there's links to all of my work and projects at, at that website. Or you can go to modernaudiodrama.com just to go directly to my audio drama shows. But uh, But yeah. And you can find me, find everything there, links to my social presence and and all the above. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rick. And I can't encourage you guys enough to check out The Behemoth. It's a great kind of intro to Rick. Uh, so uh, if you haven't gotten enough of him already, uh, which no, never enough, never enough, Rick. Um, all right. Well, well, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks again, Rick. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations again on episode 300, guys. Well, Dan, our 300th centennial episode gets better and better. We are uh, about to be joined by one of the truly great friends of the of the podcast here. He is uh, been on the show numerous times to offer his insights and opinions. He's a great movie date, especially when you're seeing Into the Spider-Verse. Let me please introduce available Alan Shurstall. Alan? No, no, no. I'm sorry to tell you that Alan is not here. Instead, it is I. That voice in the back of your head. That feeling you've had that something's just not right. That there's something maybe you've neglected. That there's sins you've not atoned for. For 100 episodes now, I've been here lurking, planning, scheming, really, really taking my sweet-ass time about it. 
while your guilty subconscious wonders, who could it be? What sin is it that's haunting you? What questions and webs have you left out to dangle? Could I be the ghost of Flash Thompson's alcoholism, which this podcast so cavalierly played for laughs? Might I be one of those runs of comics you somehow never ever find a moment to talk about in your essentials or at any other time, like chapter one? Maybe I'm the radioactive life juice from Spider-Man Rain. Perhaps I'm all those issues that clearly and powerfully established the loving bond between Peter, Boomerang, and their pet dog, but somehow never actually got published. <laughs> or maybe, maybe I'm the annuals. Not those precious, precious Marvel annuals that you two tediously bicker over on your little podcast, no. But the unresolved annual episodes that you fed into the feeds of the ne'er-do-wells and the continuity themes and the crawlspace refugees who subscribe to this godforsaken channel. A set of shows that, like a $6.99 one-shot tie-in, Spider fans invested their time in despite knowing in their gut that none of this is going to matter. None of this counts. Or maybe, maybe I'm the embodiment of the persistent confusion over whether this podcast is titled Superior Spider Talk or Amazing Spider Talk or, or the official brand new day cheerleader society of swap mediums. <laughs> or maybe, just maybe, maybe, Dan and Mark, maybe I'm your wives, those long-suffering Mary Janes who have so politely tolerated the way your little spider hobbies have upended their lives and watched in, in, in horror as those hobbies became collections and as those collections became obsessions, obsessions that cost thousands and thousands of dollars that could have been the down payment on a home, collections that have brought the two of you here to wherever this is Perhaps I'm your wives, who would both whisper to Mephisto, Oh yeah, get me, get me out of here. <laughs> your wives, who probably will not even notice it when my octopus friend completes his master scheme to swap Dan's brain into Mark's body, and Mark's brain into Dan's body, and suddenly we will have Dan running marathons while Mark... Dear sweet grown-up Mark in his Ned Flanders beer basement, <laughs> Mark will start spending hour after hour of his adult life discussing meaningless trivia in the spider slack. <laughs> or maybe, just maybe, maybe I'm the most obvious person of all. The person so obvious that you immediately thought, oh, it's gotta be him. But then, but then you said no. It can't be him, because why else would they really make such a big mystery out of it if it's just going to be him? Why would they plant clues for a year if it's just going to be the guy we know it is immediately at the start? Well, I am here to tell you that... Yeah, it's him.
It's just me. It's just me. <laughs> Hi guys! Congratulations! Yay! Yay. Hey, I'm in a they might be giants hoodie. Something uh, that is actually cooler than Spider-Man comics. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Alan. That was a wonderful introduction. Or, or, or is it Kindred? I can't really tell. And and does it really matter? Oh no, I, I wasn't doing Kindred. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's not who you were. It's what you wanted. <laughs> That's exactly, that is exactly right. That is exactly And right. what do you want, Alan? Eh. <laughs> uh, I wanted to see you guys and to say congratulations on 300 episodes. That is a whole lot of episodes and a whole lot of a uh, Spider-Man that you guys have covered. And I am excited to talk about it. We're we're excited to be talking to you about it. I I would think. I mean, you know, I, I'm a little I'm a little a little unnerved, but you know, we we can still do this, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we we wanted to invite Alan on to the show because one, we enjoy talking to Alan. Two, the reason you just witnessed, and three, you know, Alan is going to kind of operate as the uh, fan insert character. Like Alan, you've been listening to the show from the very beginning, correct? Uh, I think from pretty early. I don't know if I heard the very first episodes, but I definitely was listening early on when you guys were still talking about Brand New Day. And as I've probably said on this show before, you know, what what appealed to me about the show is, uh, actually, I think I can say it in a new way, in a way I have not said before, because I just thought of this today, is that you guys are fans and collectors with serious knowledge but you're also upbeat, you're willing to roll with changes, and neither of you has that fanboy tendency to act as if you own the character that you love. Well, we don't, and, that's, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and that is proven week in and week out. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'll take the compliment is what, what, what I'll say. We, we've been happy to have you on board. I mean, I, you and I met because of this show and me randomly emailing you. And oh, Dan, Dan, this is exactly the kind of thing that the good people of Spider Talk Nation do not want to hear about or care about. <laughs> okay, well then I won't delve any any further. But what do they care about, Alan? If, if you are going to be the arbiter of such things, what kind of things are you curious about as someone who's been listening to the show? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because I actually do have some some things I am curious about that I don't know that you have addressed lately on the show. If, if, if you don't mind, I might ask some questions and expose your sins. Okay, this sounds All right. like let's fun, get the, I guess. Let's get those sins out there. <laughs> when when you guys like started this, wait, you know, Brand New Day was in full swing and you guys were, were outliers in like the noisy online Spider-Man community and that you were supportive of this new direction. I just want to think about how time has passed and how the character has changed in like the very fertile and exciting period you guys have been covering this. Since then, well, back then, everyone thought of Spider-Man as Peter Parker. And, and your collections were probably a couple hundred issues smaller because uh, there's been so, so many issues. So there's been so much change, so many years, so many issues, so many episodes. Are you guys surprised that you're still doing this and that people are still out there willing to listen to you and even to chip in on Patreon? <laughs> the running joke between Dan and I is when we, we had started and, you know, I would say, Dan, like 
you know, after after there was, you know, a bit of a feeling out period, we 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 connected pretty quickly. And, you know, I think especially after we went to that first Terrificon together, I was like, all right, this is a good guy. I I, I, I like doing this this program with you. But I don't remember at what point early on it was. But you I think you were kind of talking about like long range plans for the show and you know, you're like, yeah, and then by this point, we'll be doing this. And then, you know, if at some point, it'd be great if we can do this and do this and do this. And I'm like, Dan, you're talking like five, 10 years out. You're like, yeah. And I'm like, Dan, if I'm still doing this in five years, there's something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He's an enthusiastic little guy who can rope people into things. I know. And it's in what, eight, nine years later. I mean, what what, I've actually lost track, but so on the most base level, yes, I'm surprised. But like, as the show has gone along and evolved, and I think especially after went to the seasonal format, you know, versus, you know, kind of uh, let's just do what we want to do every other week or whatever, which, you know, was fun, but also had no structure. I think once we went to the seasonal format, I was like, yeah, this thing, we're just going to keep going, you know, like this will, this will go until one of us drops or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which dad, you know might, might, gets sick of me <laughs> might, might be increasingly likely right, well, that's we true too. yeah i don't know i mean did i expect to be doing this no i've never had this kind of i don't want to say success with the podcast because i think we're really still small very small potatoes or whatever phrases and i think we probably have plateaued in terms of how many people are willing to listen to spider-man content week in and week out but it's just still fun. And that's what's surprising to me. I, I've done a lot of podcasts before and I have lost steam pretty quickly, um, e- e- no matter how clever the concept um, or things like that. And e- you know, e- talking about Spider-Man is still fun now for me. And that might be that it is you know one of the more serialized pieces of content. There's just new Spider-Man all the time. And that keeps it fun. But I, I agree with Mark. I think it's the 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 seasonal stuff that really locked it in for me to be like a more academic endeavor. And that's been a lot of fun to me. As someone who went to grad school and didn't feel satisfied by it, I almost feel like this is my like rest of my life thesis paper that I'm working on just in a different format. It thrills me to think that someday when Mark and I finish our seasons and get all caught up with where we started back in Superior, someone will be able to like listen to our show as incoherent as it is and get a really, really good sense of like the history of, you know, not just this character, but pop culture, like through the lens of, of this character. And that's been really exciting, you know, but I, I think the bigger thing is just the kind of like cosmic coincidence that Mark and I ended up being really good friends through this because we were strangers and, you know, I, I don't think that that thing regularly happens. Uh, although I feel like from reading Mark's blog, I had a good sense that Mark was a good dude. So that, that helped out quite a bit. I had a good sense from your uh, comments on my blog that you were, you were a strange, but good dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. There, there's a lot in there that I'll want to get back to. But first, I want to, you talk about this podcast as, as a, a project, like, like something that has kind of taken on a life of its own now. And uh, here's like, here's, here's a frank 
question that you guys have kind of alluded to the answer to answers a couple times, like during periods when you've been frustrated with the book when reviewing the book. If you weren't, haven't been doing this podcast for years, would you both still be buying regular issues of Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah okay. I would definitely. It's gone beyond just collection. It's it's a hobby, you know, like good or bad. I'm going to read it and have an opinion on it. And I wish it was good all the time. I think I would have been tested the most during like volume three during our show. I really was like, why am I reading this? Is volume three, the Parker Industries stuff? No, that's volume four. Volume three is like the, like, is it even 20 issues with oh the sex with silk stuff? Yeah. And spider verse and all of that. And the stuff that just flat out ignored that superior existed largely. I found it so frustrating and it was frustrating to review it. I think Mark and I would, hop on the podcast and be like, this is going to be a chore. Like if I didn't have the show, I definitely would have been reading it, but it was not, it would not have been enthusiastically. And I think it took a lot of energy for us to get through that era of Spider-Man while still giving it our all on the show. I mean, if not for the show, I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't still be picking up the book, but would I be like, would the book sometimes in some periods be kind of piling up on my on my nightstand so to speak i probably i mean like certainly volume three i mean there were there yeah i i hate to say it but there have even been like sections of this most recent run where i've kind of been like you know like i'm not as excited about it i think as as you are sometimes dan you know the 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 show certainly kind of keeps me reading and keeps me on my toes it also kind of keeps me engaged in the comic book universe at large although i sometimes kind of fall behind in that too like i don't i don't good old dan is reading like all the x books and stuff and i'm just like i don't know how you do (laughs) i've recently dropped half the x books i just can't do it anymore they are just such nonsense (laughs) uh that's not to say that spider-man hasn't also been nonsense here and there i think the thing for me is really just like it's more than like a hobby it's like a way that i check in week to week it's like a a demarcation of time for me you know like each new issue is just another part of filling in a week and the potential thrill or just kind of keep checking in with this universe in some way i i i I say that like it's like weird weird is like a it's like they've truly got their hooks in me that like i don't even question the like capitalistic instinct I just buy it because that's living life. What 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 is true? It's birth, death, taxes, and Spider Man. That's kind of where I'm at the moment. I think. Wow, only one of those things is like inconsistently like good or bad. <laughs> and, and I don't want to get off track, but I'll just say I I loved issue sixty seven, but that's just me. Well, you know that that's not that's not this yet. discussion. That's Spoilers. not this discussion. <laughs> So, okay, I'm not, Dan, you're being very humble and say, and, you know, talking about how, well, I don't know that this has been a success, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not saying you guys have great power, but I believe, and I think, Dan, that you believe that anyone with any kind of media platform of any size has a responsibility to use it well and, and wisely. So I want to know, like, what sense of responsibility do you guys bring to this project as as critics, as journalists, or as fans? 
Like I, I, I'll I'll just say one more thing here, which is I think you guys bring more responsibility to this project of reviewing and discussing Spider-Man comics than most people who opine about such topics on the internet bother to. <laughs> I think Dan is probably of the two of us, the more humble one. <laughs> because I mean, frankly, frankly, for me, like, you know, this kind of goes back to when I started chasing amazing and, you know, that was, Oh God. Oh, nine, 2010. I, I, I mean, and frankly, chasing amazing is what brought me here to Dan because, you know, Dan was a reader of that and, and what's connected here. And I think for, for certain, the podcast took on more of a life of its own. And, you know, frankly, when I, when I set out to do chasing amazing, I mean, my background, I've, I've alluded to this both on my blog and on the show, like, you know, I come, I come from journalism. I have always kind of taken that approach to this to this endeavor because I feel like you know if you're if you're gonna do something like this even if it's even if it's fun you ha you have to do it I don't want to say seriously because that sounds way too stodgy but like you need to you need to care and you need to your your passion and your intellect need to be at the forefront for something like this I feel like you know otherwise you're just wasting you're wasting air you're wasting space because there's there's a there's hundreds of or thousands or even millions of just blathering idiots on the internet <laughs> in some form or another. So we're not moving mountains with this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that there have been times that things that we've said might've had some bearing of influence on what has happened in the comics, or at least how certain creators engage with their fans online because they know of our criticism or they know of our, or our praise. Dan and I connected because, you know, yeah, we're fans and yeah, we, you know, we, we want to have fun and we want to goof off about stuff, but like, we want to just kind of bring our serious, but authentic selves to the table when it comes to, to talking Spider-Man. And I think that's, that's why we've kind of differentiated ourselves from other similar comic book podcasts out there. Yeah. I think that's a really good summation of it, Mark. I mean, I'll add a couple things, which is, one, I think all we have to offer is our best. That That's the one thing that can differentiate us from other people. You know, there's a million different voices about comics online and many of them are great. And some of them are offering even more than, than we are, but I'm not going to do an endeavor unless I really like feel like I'm putting my all into it or that my opinions that I express are actually how I feel about something with you know, a, a backing behind it. And I think that's really important to me is that like what I express is the best of that expression. But for me also, it always comes back to what I started the podcast for. I wanted to start the podcast for, which is I didn't hear my voice, the kind of voice you described Alan in like the Spider-Man fandom online. I just didn't hear this kind of take. And when I was reading the comics, this is how I was thinking. Like what people are getting when they listen to the show is what I think when I read the comics. It might be a little more than anybody ever wanted to hear about how I think when I read the comics. And Mark will tell you when he looks at my notes, I, I bet he rolls his eyes nearly every time. But like, that's how I engage with this medium, which is seriously. And there are people whose jobs are to create this medium and you better believe it that they take it seriously. At least I hope that they take it seriously. If, if we can hold people's feet to the fire to take it as seriously as we, as we do, then I think everything stands to improve. 
for me, I always keep it like, what would I want to hear? You know, when I'm listening to about comics, like I wish there was an amazing spider talk for every comic that I read, you know, because then I would listen to it, you know, like, like I want to, like when I read a comic, I want to engage in this level. Like, uh, and that's not to say they don't exist. I certainly haven't listened to every comics podcast, but I really don't listen to many because a lot of them aren't offering what I'm looking for. And that might just be that I'm looking for my own voice, which certainly there's some, there's something to that. I think for me, it always comes back to how do we make the community better? And the best way we can make the community better is by being like taking it seriously. And I think like I got an email from Nick Spencer recently who said like, I heard that you're, you don't love the run, but I still appreciate the conversations that you have. And I think that's the best you could hope for from a creator, which is like, Hey, like if you're not digging my stuff, that's cool. I know you guys are being smart about it. And a lot of people I think really forego that relationship by not bringing their all to their criticism, like cheap, lazy criticism allows creators to write you off and not paying any attention to you. And I you don't need the attention. You're not but. unfair. You're not unfair and you're not prescriptive in your criticism. You don't say, here's where the story should have gone. You sometimes say things like they shouldn't have dragged this out eight issues or maybe they should have put some suspense in this mystery, but you don't say, here's the story beats that would have been better. Right. We could, we could hop on this show and, and, and there's certainly people that would love to hear this. We could hop on the show and complain that Peter and Mary Jane aren't married every single episode. Right? I don't know that Mark and I actually believe that. But there's a whole contingent of people that would want a show that knocks the, every single issue that doesn't deliver that to them. Well, that, that's what I meant when I said you guys don't act as if you own the character. Your childhood version of it, you know, which is like what, the, the 90s cartoon or something, uh, like is not ensconced in your mind as the ideal that all other versions of it must reflect. And I would even take that a step further. And, you know, I I, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, Dan, but, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure this is kind of an oddball opinion compared to others like who do what we do here. But like I am I am a comic book fan, a diehard Spider-Man fan who has zero interest in ever doing anything creative with this character. Like, I don't want to write Spider-Man. I don't want I don't want to do fan fiction. I, I just have zero interest in it. Like I I am the fan that wants you know, entertain me. You know, are you not entertained? I want to be entertained. I have, you know, and I think that's part of why I'm able to give the kind of criticism that I do, because I, I frankly, I'm not sitting there saying, well, if, you know, I was, if I was Nick Spencer, if I was Dan Slott, I would, you know, you know, we would have done this and done that. I have zero interest in it. Like I, 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 I don't have the, the bandwidth to sit there and, and scope out Spider-Man for the next five years. I want them to do it for me. And I just want them to entertain me when they do it. <laughs> I don't think people realize how much work it is to actually do that. I probably mentioned this to you before guys, but I once had a, a long like meal with Dan Slott where I was interviewing him. And at some point it became him telling me like how superior was going to end. I, I think it was how it was going to end and like walking me through beat by beat that he had in his head. And it was like 40 minutes of like all, like I had not really conceived before how much thought it actually takes to plot this stuff out and what passion it takes to do it well. 
you're not the only one who got that speech. <laughs> I think, <laughs> oh, I think. oh, I know, I know. I, I've heard of, I've heard about it before. Oh, you know, yeah, can, for sure. Can I ask you guys about? I don't think I've ever heard you guys talk about this, but it's something I, I I've met you both personally a couple times. So, but I'm, I don't think I'm bringing to this anything that you wouldn't just get from the podcast, which is what I think of as a mild comic friction between the two of you, where one of you runs very kind of puppyishly hot and the other is a little colder and sometimes, oh, I don't know, really. <laughs> uh, th there are there are moments there i think that's definitely accurate there's moments where i can get carried away or like a lot of it where i get carried away and mark has to kind of pull me back and there's also times where mark like i i can tell you uh, th this is my and maybe this comes across where mark will fixate on like some idea or interpretation of it and I'll just go, yeah, I can see that, but I didn't really get, get it that way. And that's kind of my way of like, I don't really have a way to respond to it. Let's move on. It's, um, it's like the most polite puncturing of the big balloon you just blew up in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Mark, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mark, but I have to imagine that's how you feel when I lay out some insane theory about where the book is going. You're like, I don't really care. Like you just said, I just want to be entertained. Dan, you can build whatever scaffolding you need to support this. I, I will I will admit anytime, especially in the last couple of years, anytime there's like we get that moment of uh, some semblance of a revelation with Kindred and I read it in the comics, I kind of like hold my breath because I'm like, oh, God, the notes are going to be a disaster on Sunday. <laughs> it's <laughs> mapping out like you know like like you know charlie day at the at the board you know game theory about you know where this is all going and i'm just like yeah i don't know dan we'll probably find out in three years <laughs> <laughs> it's harry osborne <laughs> i think i've like largely given up I, I think i think my my theory is officially dead like you know we're we're just gonna keep holding out on, the, but on your theory thing. touched on clues that were there like resonances and suggestions and this is a this is a villain who works and this is a writer who works it, it, sometimes in a meta realm a dreamscape realm a everything is related but not necessarily on a plot level realm and it, 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 I'm, the word i'm looking for here is elusive and elusive and those are hallmarks of of the spencer run and I think you, Dan, were reading it as uh, re reading it as puzzle pieces rather than as uh, thematic connections. But I don't think the run was has been very clear about these issues. So of course that was a natural thing to do. Yeah, and I think I was basing it on his like previous stuff, like his Secret Empire was all about like liter taking like uh, the literal thematic antagonist and or the themes and making them literal, right? Like it was, there is an evil Captain America and there's a good Captain America and there are two realities, you know, and it's very literal and, you know, it's, it's literalizing the themes that America is struggling with this, that we have live in two separate realities that are politically aligned. And I was like, okay, like what is the big question here? Clearly this has to do with one more day, how would you literalize that? How would you make form of that? And that was where my guess went. I, I could still be right, but 
it's looking more and more like it's Harry Osborn. I haven't read 67 yet. <laughs> oh, no, th- th- there's, there's nothing in there. There's nothing okay. in there about this. But, but what, I, what I found valuable and really interesting about that, and one thing I think your show has really helped me with during what, honestly, you know, there was a lot of fan reaction to, like, Superior, you know, including mewling crybabies convinced Peter Parker will never come back. And a lot of cry and a lot of people yelling during the Parker Industries arc, you know, that, oh, you've ruined this character forever, blah, blah, blah. This is the first run of Spider-Man comics you guys have covered that has been kind of thorny and difficult. And your two very different approaches to it, you know, Mark, you're kind of impatient, entertain me already. And Dan, you're, well, here's what it might all mean. (laughs) 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 Like those, those I think are illustrative of both what is interesting about the run and both what actually hasn't worked. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause like, I feel like you're both smart people. It comes through in our reviews. I think Mark is looking to be entertained and it's just not doing it for him most of the time. And I'm like finding some kind of like alternative to that, which is entertaining myself by picking it apart. <laughs> Although I do think the book is coming around. I I, I think issue 60 was the turn. It's been coming around for three years. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, I know. it's, it's firing now. now. It's firing now. The last seven <laughs> issues, seven, eight issues ever since they got out of the graveyard. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I've, I've enjoyed. Uh, okay. Now I'm going to get back to kind of more general stuff. Uh, I derailed a little bit talking about the Spencer run. And I will say this for the Spencer run. It's always interesting to talk about. So one thing I appreciate about this show is that it started out kind of as like a review podcast where you occasionally would interview somebody at like a convention. And now it's developed into something that I think of more like like, like the, the high-end fan press, like Roy Thomas's Alter Ego magazine and other things like that, in that it's both fun for fans, but it's also a, a resource with new information and new interviews about the history of this character. And, uh, and it's interesting to me how despite the, you know, the global prominence of Spider-Man, there's still so many like vital behind-the-scenes stories from creators to dig out. So when you guys actually get to sit down and interview these people, do you think about what, when you're approaching the interview, do you think about what you're adding to the public knowledge about Spider, the character in the history in the comics, or are you more chasing like your own interests and what matters to you? Or do you just trust that these are the same thing? I think it's a little of both. I can say with certainty that when we are going to interview someone like, I, I go out of my way to kind of comb, you know, the internet, all the ego, you know, like all the previous content that can be out there and be like, all right, like, let's, let's not do the same interview that so-and-so did in, you know, 20, whatever, or whatever, you know, like, like if we're going to interview somebody, we need to bring something new to the table, even if, even, you know, and I think probably, frankly, some of the, more challenging interviews that that Dan and I have done over the years have been with creators who either have kind of frankly forgotten some of this stuff or, you know, don't think about it as deeply as we do and thus are just kind of like 
I, I don't want to think about it in, the, in these terms anymore, you know, like, and, and, and it kind of like, you know, rebuffs us. They just want to give the, the, yeah, you know, I created this character and blah, 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 blah. And the end, you know, like this, you know, like we, we, you, we joke about with, with Stan Lee, you know, like you, you go through like history of interviews with Stan Lee and it's like, he always ends up hitting the same like five points over and over again. <laughs> it's like, it's like a tape recorder and he hits it and goes. At the same token, I'm like, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not coming up with questions or, or, or trying to hit on some ideas or uncover something that I'm not personally, I kind of cross my fingers and hope that others feel the same way. <laughs> and usually like Dan is a good sounding board in that regard. So, but like, but yeah, for certain, like it's, it, we're, we're, I make it a point to like, let's, how are we going to differentiate this? Like, like when we had JRJR on a few months ago, it was like, I was very adamant about like, okay, we're, we're going to get John Romita Jr. on. We got to make this really unique and fun. And I think we did. I think like that, that, that was a really good interview. That was probably, I, I mean, you know, this is, this is the, the humbleness, not humbleness thing about, I, I, to me, that was the best John Romita Jr. interview I've ever listened to. And it was ours. And I, I, you know, I hang my hat on that. And I think the other important thing that a lot of people forget is, well, for, first of all, when we get people on the show, we don't take it very like lightly, you know, e even though we've had Jerry Conway on what, eight times now, every time is exciting. I mean, I still remember shaking physically the first time that Jerry was coming on the show. I was so nervous and excited about it. And now Jerry's kind of like an old friend. I don't take it for granted that people give us their time to, uh, to talk to us, you know? And so I want to make that worthwhile. And I see a lot of these comic creators going on all, all kinds of shows and I'll tune in to listen. And I'm like, this person is not respecting their time. Like this is not someone who's interested in hearing from this person. They're interested in having that person's name attached to their podcast. And I think for us, one of the one of the great things about the seasonal element of the show is when we have someone on, it is truly with a purpose, right? We are covering an era of time. We are looking at something very specific. Like I think about getting on Mark Wade to talk about, you know, Peter's parents and and his feelings on that. And like I can't imagine Mark Wade has had done any interview like that ever before. And he was probably a little bit like, why are you talking to me about this? When Mark and I schedule our show out, we're never inviting people on, you know, cavalierly or casually. You know, there's the, there's the random person that I'm like, Mark, I think we can get this person on. It has nothing to do with our content, but I'm really excited to get them on, you know, like Tom Brevoort. We found a way to make that very specific, which was we talked to him about COVID for, for a lot of it. And that felt like very immediate and like, unlike any other interview I, I'd ever heard. And to this day, I've, I still have not heard any editor at Marvel talk about how they dealt with COVID or were planning on dealing with COVID or what kind of conversations were going on with that. Like Mark, I used to listen to like hours of interviews with creators to make sure we weren't asking the same questions and to get a feel for what that person was like. Another, another aspect of the show is like very few other people even news outlets bothered to talk to to comic shops about what what the covid delays you know the end of shipping early during covid was going to mean for them like like that's above and beyond yeah i thought that was really important because 
we all have relationships with our local comic book stores. It was looking like not only were they going to close their doors and not have any product, like that would put any company out of business. And I won't go into the politics, but I was not holding my breath that our elected officials were going to save the comics industry in, in any way, much less the entertainment industry. I look at like the Arclight cinemas here in LA closing down, you know, that could have very well been, any number of comic shops, which I'm sure many of them have gone away. And, you know, I thought, you know, well, I'm curious about this. And if I'm curious about it, so are other people. So let me reach out to all these people I know and see, you know, how, how they're feeling. I, I kind of want to like check back in with a lot of them and see what it was like, but it, it looks like the industry managed to maintain itself better than I was suspecting. Cause at the time I thought this is it like doom and gloom, the like weekly, you know, books are, are going to go, you know, everybody's been waiting to step on the fingers of this industry as it's hanging for dear life. I, I guess comics aren't as fragile as a lot of people put, make them out to be. So when are you guys going to get Dan slot? I don't think it's going to happen. I, uh, I think if it does happen, it's like a decade from now when he is like long since removed and look, maybe not even writing books, and he's just looking to fill time. That doesn't sound very generous, but the you know I, I think that six one six documentary shows him to be a guy that has trouble managing his time, and I don't mean that as a, like an insult. Like I've enjoyed a lot of Dan Slott's comics, and the reason Mark and I's show exists is because of Dan Slott. the The word that I've heard from people that have interviewed him is one: people that are more connected to the industry. I know that that Stegman and his amazing friends, they interviewed Dan Slott, but that was a safe place for him to be. And not that we wouldn't be safe, but we would probably push him a little bit harder. And then two, we went on um, Word Balloon and did like a three hour interview with John in the middle of the night. And I talked to John at Centris about that. And he was like, yeah, he just called me up in the middle of the night and said, do you have three hours or whatever? Like, and that's just not how Mark and I work. Like we, if we book someone, we want to prepare for it. Not that we couldn't come up with a million questions for Dan Slott off the, you know, the top of our tongues, but you know, we like to make this a little more formal, Like, right? You know, we're going to ask probing questions and you know, I, I think we're going to get Nick Spencer on when his run is done. And I hope that he's, you know, willing to do that because I think only really positive things can come from talking to us, which is like really putting a human face behind uh, all this stuff. I look, I remain eternally hopeful. Dan Slott is talking a lot about his run recently and the behind the scenes of it on Twitter. But I think that's his platform is he just likes to kind of dish it on, on Twitter where he can, I don't know if it's play the victim or whatever, but like he wouldn't get that space on our show. Well, as a matter of fact, he recently mentioned on Twitter that it took him forever to come up with the name Red Goblin. He does not mention anything about your weird phone number. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm not going to assign any any kind of mind reader readership here on on Dan Slot, but like you know, it I I, I when I think about Dan Slot and his relationship to our show and whether we're either going to interview him or not. I, I always think back to the first time I got to meet him in the flesh. It was on a, a, a signing on the release day of Superior Spider-Man 1. Uh, I was at a comic book shop in Manhattan. 
at that point we did not have the podcast, but I, I was doing chasing amazing and I had kind of engaged with him on Twitter a couple of times with some posts and he seemed to kind of, you know, either retweet me or whatever. So like, all right, this guy, even if he doesn't know me, he has some semblance of a, of a knowledge here of that there's this person out there. I don't know, whatever. Anyway. And when I had met him, I, you know, introduced myself and he kind of pretended to recognize me and then kind of ended, you know, after, you know, friendly back and forth said, you know, thank, you know, thanks so much for, for following and caring. You know, I know you sometimes give me a hard time. And I was like thinking to myself, do I? And well, he, he said that before, before you guys had, the yeah. Show. When you, yeah, when you were just blogging, because so, you know, and I was blogging about some of the new issues, and and like to me, that just made the impression that this is somebody who, you know, I think kind of just in general has a, a distrustful nature of kind of not not the, I mean, like it's ridiculous to call any kind of media associated with comic books mainstream, but you know, I think there, but you guys know what I'm talking about when I refer to like a mainstream media source versus like you know kind of an alt alt site or a podcast or a blog. I think he's just naturally distrustful, um, knows he can't control his messaging as well doing it. And, you know, and to me, like, it, you know, and it was a t- it was totally like off the cuff and he said it with a smile on his face. It wasn't meant as like a, a, a stab in the back or anything like that. But it just like it kind of like rung alarm bells for me and like any subsequent ups- bleh, any follow ups I've ever done with him about trying to get him on the show and kind of being rebuffed whether it's so he didn't have time or then just or just flat out ignoring the request. It kind of like said to me, yeah, I don't think he's interested in doing it with something like this. And 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 frankly, I don't see him doing it. Yeah, I mean, Dan, I know you gave a couple examples, but I don't really, you know, he's not it's not like he's going on other fan shows and doing it. I don't I don't see it. Well, th- that's that's it right there. You guys aren't a fan show. You guys approach this as criticism. You know, I mean, and Dan went to grad school for criticism, which is an absurd thing. I can make fun of it because I did the same. And he's an artist. And it's very easy for us, you know, in the fan community to feel like, oh, no, the creators should feel like that they can come hang out with us and that, and that they're buddies. But that's not the relationship that your show has established, even though your show has been like much more supportive and thoughtful about his work than than many of the online critics have. I think it's worth think maybe thinking of Slot or Spencer's perhaps distaste at the thought of coming on to talk to you guys, not as like, oh, these creators are are scared or don't understand that you have good hearts. We think we would very rarely expect like like critics to interview like the directors of films. You know, they do sometimes. And it's awkward. And as somebody who used to edit film critics, like once the film critic becomes buddy buddy with the director, you can't let them review the movies anymore. You know, I mean, it, it's very easy for you guys to interview creators whose work you are not evaluating week in and week out in real time. It's much easier to talk to Howard Mackey because you guys never reviewed the Mackey Burn issues. Not that you could find them because they only printed a dozen. i i think about that a lot alan i think it's been fairly i don't know if it's obvious that i am trying to make a profession in the creative arts and i do think a lot about the ramifications that criticism provides it inherently creates a sort of alienating 
experience for you. And, and I, I clearly have not given it up because I, I think it's a valuable thing to add to society. But, but I do think about that a lot, which is like, if we dropped the criticism element of the show, would it actually allow us to, you know, highlight the work of Spider-Man creators in a greater way by bringing the creators on board. But, but I think the value of discussing these books is perhaps greater than learning about the ins and outs of how something was produced because most people are experiencing it the way that we are. That kind of community, I think has a, a lot of value in it. And I actually think it does end up benefiting the art long-term. Someone's feelings might get hurt, although Mark and I, I think do our best not to hurt people's feelings or be cruel in our, in our criticism. A, a better informed community that can speak about comics ends up leading to better comics in, in, in the long run. And in many ways, I think like Nick Spencer's run is kind of a reaction to that. Like so much of it is like, correcting books. And while we might not love all of that, it does seem like someone who's actually listened to criticism and said, I'm going to go about, you know, solving some of this in some way. And issue 67 is a great example of that, but Mark hasn't read it yet. So, you know, we, we will get there this weekend, Mark. I am really looking forward to talking to you about this. Issue. Oh, I'm looking forward to that show. The show is ambitious. Like you guys have branched out from the comics to talk to actors, people who work on the movies, the video games. And you guys acknowledge that the character is bigger than the comics. Uh, and I'm sure your downloads and your Patreon numbers, you know, might be better if you focused on all that, uh, what I think of as ancillary media, not the real Spider-Man, right? Yet the comics remain your focus. Why? I kind of encountered that a little bit when I did my book a few years ago. I was working with my editor and outlining it. I mean, you know, and, and this is not to say that I got stifled in any way. I, I had plenty of latitude. But at one point there was a comment where there was like, wow, you really want to lean into the comics with how you're putting this together. I'm like, yeah, because that's where my passion is. You know, I love I, I my introduction to Spider-Man, you know, as a six year old was was through the comics, was through the spinner rack, you know, like, and, and that's, that's where the association came. And that's where the love came. And when I personally think Spider-Man, I, that's, you know, the version of Spider-Man that I think of is Spider-Man in the black suit in 1987, walking out in the rain with Alex Saviak drawing him and David Michelinie scripting the comic. As Dan noted earlier, I have a tendency to fixate <laughs> and not move off stuff. And that is that is like the, the key fixation for me when it comes to Spider-Man. Like I, I the other episodes that we do while while fun are frankly and, you know, this is I hope I'm not breaking news here. I mean, they're not they're not where my passion is when we do this show, Dan. I mean, like my passion is when we're even even when the comics get frustrating, I still love talking about the comics. You know, it's like that is just where the love is for me. And, and you know, if we ever like, you know, run through this whole gamut of, of, of runs and whatnot, because I mean, yeah, we talk about the seasonal content and that, you know, that aligns to Spider-Man and the comics. Uh, we'll talk about the other stuff, but the, but the seasons are aligning with comic book runs, essentially. When, when this project 
comes to an end if you would call it an end like and if dan was like let's do a year by year thing of all the video games i'd be like i'm out you could find another person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know my my answer is similar to mark's but also different in that i think the future of that is really yet to be told like mark and i have explored these other topics and and I think we have to really wrestle with how we cover our show going forward as the seasons continue, because we've kind of addressed it like we're covering a transmedia property. The world of Spider-Man is going to expand in our coverage considerably. And then we have to like kind of pick and choose how much of that is worth going into. Like, do we do a whole episode on Spider-Man Turn <laughs> Off the Dark? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if Mark wants a night off, I'm sure there's people, I, I, again, I know a guy who saw it. I know several people who went to see it and have amazing stories. And I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the clip from Letterman of all the supervillains introducing themselves, right? Oh my God, it's beautiful. It is beautiful and bonkers and shouldn't exist. And Swiss Miss is a new character. We got to cover Swiss Miss. I'm, I'm calling um, it now. I'm calling it now. When we do that episode, Dan... We're going to have the hidden, the, the never released swarm song. <laughs> there you go. The swarm song. Wait, there's a swarm song? Maybe. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> oh, and swarm yeah, is in yeah. that clip, by the way. He is. Yes, he is. That's going to be really interesting to kind of chart as we move forward. But also, I mean, and, and I don't mean this as any slight to Mark. One of the joys of the past 100 episodes is kind of like, coming to terms with like, look, Mark just wants to talk about the comics and me kind of going off and doing explorations of my own into things that interest me. And I, and you know, I've said to Mark, you know, it, it goes both ways. If there's something you want to cover that I'm not going to be around for. And Mark did do this in the past covering conventions and things like that. I, I think the platform has opened up considerably to fit in other things, but yeah, my interest remains the comic as well. I think that's the primary source material, but it will get increasingly more difficult to talk about the comic in absence of other things. Like the movie impacted the comic, whether you like it or not. Like, you know, Spider-Man lost his web shooters at one point and was shooting stuff out of his wrists. And it wasn't by accident, you know, it was because the movie did it, you know, you know, e even ultimate Spider-Man, I think was influenced by, the Sam Raimi films and, and, you know, there's no way to talk about the stuff without getting into some of the ancillary things. Now, does that mean that I'm really eager to go watch the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon show and talk about it? Not really. You know, I, I'm, I'm more interested in these other ones we've talked about because they're formative to the public's understanding of the character, but I guess so is ultimate Spider-Man in terms of what Marvel wanted to make the character look like. So I don't know how we're going to handle it. And uh, yeah, I, my interest remains the comics, but what, what about the um, cartoon with Lisa Loeb and Doogie Howser? Can we talk about that? Yeah. The MTV show. Yeah, <laughs> we could talk about that too. The youth oriented freshening up the origin ultimate Spider-Man series debuted 21 years ago, by the way. I know. Oh, Tell yeah. me about it. It's old enough to it drink. Old enough to drink. It's old enough to complain about the kids these days. It's older than Peter Parker yep. ever got in that series. That brings me to my last question. First off, let me let me apologize for suggesting earlier that uh, you guys started this during Brand New Day. 
I think I was thinking that because I was reading you during, or I was listening to you during Superior, and I read posts you had written about Brand New Day issues. And when you guys talked about Brand New Day on the show, you were supportive in a way that I found really refreshing because I honestly had never heard another soul say a good thing about those comics. When you started this, Spider-Man was Peter Parker. Now Spider-Man is anyone. What does that shift mean? And does it change how you feel about or how you relate to Spider-Man? Mark, I think we should tag team this one because I, I think this is a discussion in, in of itself rather than to, like, I don't know that I can pat answer that. I think I'm, I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I'm of two minds about it. You know, I, I really think that the, it's funny. I think Spider-Man has become every man but the everyman aspect of Spider-Man for me has diminished over the years as Spider-Man has become not Peter Parker. Peter Parker has kind of been lost in all of that. And I celebrate it. Like, honestly, I think Miles Morales' comic right now is a real blast. Like, he's in the middle of this clone saga thing. I'm very thankful that we have that character do, doing exciting things. You know, and, and that there's an audience that sees in that character something of themselves. But I can't help but be my, you know, 35-year-old white guy in his, you know, in, in his office with Spider-Man artwork, you know, th thinking about like, well, what about Peter Parker? Like, I want more of that guy. I don't know if that's a criticism of the universe of Spider-Man more than it is like, I feel like I don't really know Peter Parker as a person as much as of recently. The kind of broadening of this, the, the idea that we're getting a Spider-Verse live action movie, like I find kind of terrifying. I loved Into the Spider-Verse. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie. But like that felt like it was an offshoot, a one-off, a like, wow, what an accident that this happened. But the shifting of Spider-Man into something more like then in every man to like a time traveling universe hopping character in even in his first nine movies or however movie we many movies we've gotten eight movies or whatever i feel like there's an endless well of stories before we got to that and so like my feeling about him becoming everybody is kind of mixed up in my feeling about like the books and the movies and everything really moving past what made the character special in the first place. And that's hard for me to reconcile because I want to be a cheerleader. That's like, yeah, Spider-Man for everyone. And when I walk down the street and I see kids in Spider-Man costumes, I'm the weird old guy. That's like cool costume. And then the kids are like, get away from me. Freaky bald guy. That, that guy is like trying to reconcile. Like it's not just for him anymore. I think that's really healthy. I'm happy to let go a little bit, but it does, it does sting because I do miss that kind of nostalgic guy that I felt like I knew, but that's how it's going to be. I keep telling myself it will be that way no matter what, because nostalgia is always stronger than what's going on currently. Uh, be before Mark jumps in, I wanted to just make one very quick point, which was, of the, what what are there, seven live-action Spider-Man movies at this point? Three, two, seven, uh, yes. Seven. Seven. Yeah. Only one of them, uh, and it's one that many people maybe consider the worst, 
only one of them has had a Spider-Man who is kind of like comfortable and accomplished at being mm. Spider-Man. Like, why do the live action movies always focus on becoming Spider-Man rather than being Spider-Man? As a whole, that, that'd be a good podcast you guys could do if you didn't talk about <laughs> comics all the time. I feel like becoming Spider-Man is being Spider-Man. I, I actually do too. I mean, it's so when I when I think of this question, I always, you know, and and I'm I'm about to ramble for a minute, so bear with me. I I I think of kind of two diverging dance slot stories, one of which I adore, and one of which I most discernibly don't. The one that I adore is Spider Island, and what is what is the theme of Spider Island? To me, it's we have an island filled with people with spider-man's powers but it took there's only one peter parker and peter parker was the one that was able to fix it yeah i was like yeah that's that's why spider-man because it's more than just the powers in the suit and the webbing and you know the spider sense it's it's who peter is peter is is you know and i and i feel and frankly i feel that way going all the way back to the dicko lear i mean like you know yes when they created this character part of the allure of the character was Anyone can be Spider-Man under the mask. We're going to cast a teenager. It was the unique qualities of Peter and his unique origin story that set the character apart. Fast forward to Spider-Verse. And, you know, if you ever want to endure the rantings and ravings of a lunatic, you know, you would hear me kind of revisiting the fact that as the story is evolving and it's like, yo, we got this Spider-Man and that Spider-Man. And, you know, like Peter was kind of the, the facto leader of of the spider people but he was never really driving the action it was always somebody else and i just remember saying probably to dan but also just into the void like what is going on here like like when is peter gonna have his moment and he never did and that's one of many reasons why i don't like that story that and secret scrolls and uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and having sex with silk and you know all you know candlelight dinners and all that so that's 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 part of my my issues with that so like what dan said it's not just for me anymore you know like like what i what i value about spider-man is not the end all be all and it's not may not even be the mainstream opinion of spider-man and i get that and i don't hold that against the character so when we have miles or we have earth 47 90210 spider-man or whatever i get it i i i i understand what the allure is it's it's i can also kind of put my hands up and say well it's not for me but i'm going to try and judge this in with the same fair-minded sense that we judge everything else as it relates to peter or otherwise but it's it's a little challenging because you know, again, like what what I went back to earlier when you were asking me, well, you know, would you ever move off of just talking about the comics? And it's like, well, this is this is how I relate and this is how I associate this character. And this is kind of how I've grown up to love this character. It's 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 not just Spider-Man. It's the lens of Peter. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, that that does. I don't think there's anything that is get off my lawn about thinking that a story an amazing Spider-Man where Peter Parker is Spider-Man should be driven by Peter Parker. 
Like, I don't think there's anything, because you're not going to think a story over in Miles Morales Spider-Man should be driven by Peter Parker. But what I'm curious about is, inevitably, someday, Marvel is going to, is going to dare to do what it hinted at, but didn't in the 90s. And they're going to put somebody else as Spider-Man in Amazing Spider-Man in the main flagship title, maybe just for a year, maybe just for a run, but they're going to do it before the triumphant return. And if, if they do that without Peter in the book, will, will you still be reading? I will. I mean, I know that Superior was a cheat. I feel part of the allure of, of Superior was, I always felt, I always interpreted that story to kind of be a commentary on Peter Spider-Man versus what Otto would do as the character. And I felt like, you know, it was all inevitably leading back to Peter returning, which is why, as you described earlier, Alan, the infantile reactions to it, I always was like, what are you people stupid? Like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, no, I would, I, I would read because I would want to, you know, entertain me. Okay, you're going to do this. I want you to, I want you to sell it to me. Like, how are you going to sell this character to me now with someone else behind, you know, like, is it going to be a commentary on how Peter did it versus how this person's doing it? Or are you not even going to have to, you know, are you going to be that secure enough in the concept that you're just going to do your own damn thing with it? And, you know, I think we've seen both over the years and with Marvel and other companies when they replace their main hero and, you know, some have worked, some haven't, but you know, it, I, I, I entertain me. <laughs> And I, I think it's all about the story. You know, I think Superior largely works because 698 to 700 are some of the best Spider-Man comics ever made. Like they're such exciting, like if you, if you will, origin story books, you know? So if you're going to make a shift like that, you know, you better have a good reason to tell that story because you've got to come up with a character that is at its essence more compelling than Peter Parker is. You know, for, for all that we can say about Peter Parker, like no, nothing has topped Amazing Fantasy 15 in terms of introducing a character to us as provided for 800 plus compelling stories in the world of Spider-Man. And I, I always kind of judge it against that. Like, and that's largely been my problem with Miles is I don't know what his origin is anymore. It's all over the map for me. And I love, I want to love that character as much and equally as I love Peter, but I just don't know what is drawing me to him or his like, you know, it, he doesn't have the formative background that says to me, like, this guy's got 800 issues in him, you know, and I, I hope so. I think Solid and Ahmed is doing really wonderful work in like reestablishing the character. But it's it will always be hard for that character to be as compelling as the guy that got has to make up for his actions surrounding Uncle Ben. The question, the answer is, I'll read anything if it's got the word "Amazing Spider-Man" on it, and I might be tested quite greatly at that. I have turned down things like "Amazing Spider-Man: Ends of the Earth" or whatever it was, the one shot. Going back in time, I think the Scarlet Spider stuff would have really made me mad. Like when it was like amazing Spider-Man with Ben Riley in it, because the story leading into that did not justify saying goodbye to Peter, but it's a case by case basis. You see, so you guys started during Superior. And so that was around issue 700, give or take. Well, what are, what are we up to now? Like eight, nine, I can't even keep it's track. It's 867. 
867. That's 167 issues. That's a lot of issues. That's a lot of reviews. Do you know the story of when the Marx Brothers decided to stop making movies? You know, they'd made a couple bad ones in a row and like Harpo and Groucho had to do some scene where they were hanging upside down and they're both in their 40s and, you know, they're not getting the rave reviews anymore. And Groucho turns to Harpo and says, after they finish that scene, have you had enough? And, and then they, they were done after that. They, they, they stopped after that. When are you guys going to say, have you had enough? Well, Alan, you got to let us know when we do three <laughs> bad shows in a row. How many, uh, how many annuals were there? Two, two. Mm-hmm. Wait, I thought I'm you joking. Loved I love those. I really enjoy. I honestly enjoyed those and thought they displayed like a real gift for satiric storytelling and uh, some like legitimate suspense. I thought they were very funny. Can we talk about that for a second? I just want to like put it out because I don't really have a place for this otherwise, which is that story was real. Like the the Mark's wife of it all being the detective that was invented, but the like annual thing was real. And I think a lot of people listened to those and thought, oh, Dan's just being clever. But like that was actually happening and still is unresolved. Uh, so I, I just want to put it out there. Like we don't know who was mailing me weird stuff in the mail uh, and they never took me up on my offer to keep doing it if they sent me an anonymous email and so there it just lingers in space in the back of my mind as this unsolved mystery so i i appreciate your your like of the annuals alan enough to joke with me about it I'm not sure that I provided enough context for our listeners what the heck that was. For the record, I am internally offended that you thought I was doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Under the guise of, as I said in the show, like, do you think I have time for that? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, I've even suspected Alan at some point, but like... I just, I honestly don't know who it is because everybody is so sincerely <laughs> denied it. In terms of other annual jokes, I was going to say, I, 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 I had this moment of like, look, Ma, I made it on Twitter the other day because I saw someone that wasn't even a reference to a Spider-Man annual. I think it was like, an did an Iron Man annual just come out this week or something like that? It was there was some, yeah. And they were like, I picked up the annual and they were just tweeting about their comics for the week. And they were like, I picked up the annual because they count. I'm like, yeah, we have totally infiltrated this conversation <laughs> to the point where it's affecting other, <laughs> you know, other comic series and people, how they justify their, their purchases. And like to that, I am just eternally happy and grateful to be a troll about a kind of comic book. <laughs> I think that's the number one comment we get is people write in, they're like, the annual joke has gone on a bit long, hasn't it? And I'm like, joke? What joke? Like, we're, we are, we legitimately feel this way. It's not a joke. I remember buying that like 1990s annual where Spider Man goes back to like King Arthur's court or some nonsense and just feeling like, why didn't I just set my $3 on fire? <laughs> But every once in a while, you get an annual where Ned Leeds comes back to life and it ends up being very important to the series going on. Uh, hint, hint, uh, Amazing Spider-Man oh, 67, God. Mark. No, um, stop, stop. Uh, <laughs> I like the one Stan Lee wrote in the 80s with the Scorpion. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That, as I recall, has a joke in it that I, that I thought 
is this the dirtiest thing I've ever read in a comic book when I was like 12 or 11, whenever that came out and wonder, did they really put this in here? Is this a joke about the artist's tendency to draw really large breasts on random women in the office? And I invite you to go look for it. <laughs> That's something I need to find and I can do it because I own every annual and did so before Mark. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun talking to you, but wait, what is this? Is that a, a black dot opening in the air in front of me? And is that a white fist coming out of that dot? And is that spot? <laughs> damn you, spot. There's a oh, Shakespeare damn. joke to make in there. Oh, like, damn out damn spot. spot, but yeah. Guys, it's been great talking to you, and I will leave you with this. When I was in 10th grade, a young woman in my English class, when we were reading Macbeth out loud, like the young, very religious woman who was part of a sect that only wore denim dresses in Kansas, I forget what they were called, she got that line. She was playing Lady Macbeth, Beth, and she changed it to darn. She said, out, out, darn spot. <laughs> Good night. Good luck. Bye, Bye. Alan. Good night, Thank Alan. You. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. All right. A special thank you to the available Alan Churstall for coming back on the show to have some fun with us and to provide a bit of that needed listener perspective. But before we wrap up this 300th episode, Mark and I wanted to look back at the past 100 episodes of the show and point out some of our favorite memories and favorite episodes, as well as provide our thoughts on the state of the show. But before we do that, I just wanted to remind you that if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. I mean, heck, you've listened this far into the show and are still listening. That makes you a pretty devoted fan. I can only listen to so much of my blathering before I go insane. So why not do us a favor and help spread the love of Amazing Spider Talk to the world? It would really help us out if you could recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend and, if you're able, become a member on Patreon. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, Patreon members will hear uh, Dan and me review Amazing Spider-Man number 67 and 68. So why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, sometimes, although issue 67 was $4.99, inexplicably, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way, you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out, instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed. I mean, we've done 300 of these episodes of the show now, so you know we aren't stopping anytime soon. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print of Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus as his friends look on, drawn by official Marvel artist Federico Vincentini in colors and inks. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. But we know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support our continued existence. Just follow the link in the description. And thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. Okay, enough shilling. Let's get back to episode 300 of The Amazing Spider Talk. Mm-hmm.
All right, Dan. Well, we warned everyone at the start of the show that we were going to start gazing at our navels, and we are we are here for it now. I mean, although that Allen that available Allen interview was pretty navel gazy too, but now it's the ultimate because we're just like talking to each other, Dan, about all of the cool memories and highlights that have happened in the past one hundred episodes. I mean, when we when we last did one of these, Dan. You and I were at, what was it, the Mohegan Sun uh, Casino, the draft house for New Belgium, doing a live <laughs> show and, and after having talked to a bunch of creators. And, you know, we're now a couple of years and 100 episodes later, and we're, we're just now finally getting out of our houses again after being locked down for the last year and change. A lot has happened in 100 episodes. So why don't we start talking about it? And um, I have appropriately just got some alcohol to drink for this whole thing. We've got a Moscow mule going. So I'm hoping as this continues, things get just as boozy as they did when we were at the new Belgium brewery. So if you hear me sipping on something, I am getting inebriated. And Mark, if there's one thing that you and I have learned at the start of our friendship is that I do not handle my alcohol well. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. How it it this don't goes. take much. It don't take much. I, I, I have one of my customary stouts here. That's, you know, kind of my my amazing spider talk tradition. But I'll be fine. I mean, you know, I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't get too sloppy. But hey, it's 300. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sloppy, I mean, one, one of the things that really defined our past 100 episodes is our season three and season four content. And that's not to say that content wasn't great because I felt really great about it. You know, even our season four, which we kind of tiptoed our way into being like, can we do a whole season on runs that we don't really love um, (laughs) or we love to make fun of? But season three was notable because season three felt like 100 episodes in of itself. I was going to say, like when 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 we were starting this and like, okay, what did what did these past 100 episodes contain contain, uh, consist of? And you would mention season three. I was like. No, that can't be because that felt like 200 episodes ago. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, season three, which is like, I mean, like it's the first post Stan Lee episode, uh, a season. And it was Jerry Conway. And it's like the original clone saga. Lots of great stuff in this episode or in this in, in, in this season of content. And yet. I think, frankly, because we were all going through some pretty significant life changes, which we'll get into later, but like it, it, that thing just got dragged out. <laughs> I mean, that was we were like it was like Kevin Smith writing a series about Black Hat. I mean, it was it was pretty bad, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I still feel bad about it, but I, I think we were just kind of waiting to get the best content that we could get, and you know, I, I still think season three, despite its padding you know, is one of the better seasons of the show. I mean, having Jerry on the several times that we had him and, and JMD and stuff like that. I mean, I think it really felt special by the end of it. And, you know, I think I'm a little bit partially to blame for it. You know, I, I was um, kind of like padding stuff out with my own, like asides, which we'll talk about later. I, I kind of went on several journeys of my own into different realms of content during that season. But I mean, that was what, 2019? 2019 was probably the most packed year for Spider-Man stuff of all. I mean, you got Into the Spider-Verse, Far From Home, the video game. It was just madness. Endgame. 
Yeah. Yeah. So much content and we covered it all. And, you know, Venom, I think we covered on like a Patreon episode <laughs> where like you watched it, I think a couple months later, but yeah, I, 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 it was just, a, it was just loaded and there was no way to not cover all that stuff. All I was going to say is like, if, if, if we thunk, if you think we went slowly or paced it poorly, all I could say is when we started season three, we didn't know who Kindred was. And I still don't think we know who Kindred is. So, you know what? <laughs> Just put that in, you know, put that out there. That's all. That's, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> that's good. So speaking of additions to the cast, this is my wonderful uh, segue into the next thing. You know, um, our show has undergone a, a bunch of changes. And I think, you know, related to life changes, but to me, the biggest addition to the show who appeared on the show earlier is is Rick Coast. Uh, Rick, you know, used to write for me on when the site Superior Spider Talk was running and doing all the writing. And, you know, we kind of bounced back and forth over the years. And Rick saved my life I, I and saved the show. And he's still saving the show week to week because... You know, I had taken on some extra duties, you know, I can get into it right now. Like I moved into uh, an international house for high school boys. So I had eight Chinese boys that my wife and I were were raising teenage boys. And one teenage boy is probably enough, as Mark is about to discover. Um, (laughs) But eight teenage boys was a lot, especially with like a language barrier and all of that stuff and them not being our kids. And I don't know that I could have kept this show going in the same way, editing it. And I don't know that Mark was keen to learn how to edit the show. Yeah. I mean, if I if I can interject for a second here, I mean, like I know it it obviously came up again in our interview with Available Alan that, you know, the joke has always kind of been like, you know, me saying, oh, we were doing it for so long. Something had gone horribly wrong, which kind of like pins like the the continuity of the show on my shoulders. But frankly, like. It was getting to a point where I was legitimately worried for the future of the show because of your availability, Dan. Not because you didn't want to do it, but because I thought you were going to break down and die. Uh, so, and, 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 you know, you had insinuated like, well, you know, if you learned how to edit. And I was just like, it wasn't even that I didn't want to. I was just like, I can't deal with that pressure because I, I mean, like, yeah. I still remember the very first New York Comic Con that I uh, attended and I, I was without you. And I was recording these interviews and like half of them got screwed up. And I just felt so terrible because I was like, I'm just not good at the technical side of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm, I'm great at showing up every Sunday and, 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 and being an a-hole, you know, when it comes to the, the, the technical and the production elements, I'm not great. And you were, you were just pulling so much weight. I mean, you still pull a ton of weight. I, the, the editing was breaking you and I saw it and I felt it and I was like, huh. I wonder how much longer this could truly go on for. So to bring Rick in and, you know, it's not even just like, oh, he's a live body who can edit. I mean, Rick is legitimately fantastic. You know, I know that you spoke to him earlier. Uh, I'm, you know, like he, he's just, you know, he saved the show. Like you said, like there's no there's no question about it. He saved the show. Yeah, he is officially the third Beatle. And, you know, if you haven't listened to any of Rick's podcasts, He's like a comic book writer and podcaster in his own right, and he's fantastic. And I am so honored that he, you know, wants to take on this show and help us with this. And, you know, this is not to make a plug for the Patreon, but like really, if you could help us to help support Rick 
it would go a long way to like, you know, really helping the show. Because like I said, the show would not exist. I, people might remember back to like the first 100, 100, maybe 200 episodes of the show where Mark, a new issue would come out on Wednesday and you would have the episode in your feed on a Thursday morning. And that would be because I would stay up until like two or three o'clock in the morning editing the show. And like, really, I could have slapped the audio together and just called it a day, but I make sure to listen to all the audio and cut any ums or uhs that I can cut and make it sound nice. And, you know, Rick has really kind of taken up the mantle of like matching. And again, this is going to sound really self congratulatory, but we, we, I think we set a high standard of quality and an even higher standard of quality with Rick. I go back and I listen to even episodes when I was editing and I'm like, boy, this doesn't sound good. And Rick makes us sound like silky smooth. You know, I just think the show is endlessly better. You know, we, and I've, we've thrown a lot of really random projects at him and he just like bounces off like, like, like it's nothing. So Rick coast, the savior of the show, uh, we can't thank him enough. And we're so happy to have him on board the team. And, you know, I would like it if people could hear a little more regularly from him, if we can make that work. So that, that's been a lot of fun. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, I wouldn't call him an, uh, you know, the fourth beetle of our, <laughs> of our crew here. Uh, no, that goes to Alan Scherstel. I was just no. say, how, how many Beatles are there, Dan? Oh, wait. I know. I mean, yeah, right. No, it's, it's Nick Cagnetti. You know, we've been commissioning to do the covers for all of our seasonal episodes and this is just kind of a random venture that I thought would be fun to do and like see if we could get some custom art for our show, you know, especially with the support of the Patreon, you know, like I'm paying Nick, you know, like a full commissioned rate to do those things. And it only can happen because of the Patreon. And, but he doesn't just give me any old artwork. Nick puts his heart and soul into that artwork and he is a major Spidey guy. Like maybe even more than me. He will include references in those images that take me forever to unpack. I mean, if you haven't looked at our cover images for this show on AmazingSpiderTalk.com, uh, I cannot recommend it enough because you will find a ton of Easter egg goodies in there. And Nick is just a great guy and he's a long supporter of the show. So it's been great to bring Nick on board, especially for our, our, our artwork for episode 300, which is the first time Mark and I appear on, <laughs> on the cover. So that's been pretty exciting for me. Mark, do you have a favorite pieces, piece of Nick's that you, you've liked? Oh, man. I mean, there, there's... There's so many of them. I mean, and, and I love that you've sent some out to our our Patreon listeners too. And you know, I I, I admittedly hang some of them up on uh, on my wall. I mean, that that three. I, I mean, you know, hey, we're we're already navel gazing, but that three hundred one is something special because I mean, like, it's just it's just so much fun and like you know to see to see our our likeness under you know Nick's great great pen stroke I think is is you know something to behold I mean I love the black hat and Spider-Man one I mean like you know I I feel like I'm I'm doing it not doing it justice because like I'm racking my brain thinking of all the great ones that I love the John Ramitas the Hobgoblin I mean it goes on and on <laughs> I mean it's, it's he, he's Nick is the best man and and I just I I love that he he does this for us and for our, our listeners the way he does. Yeah, and it almost makes me want to like step up the quality of the show because we're putting like an official label on it, right? Like when you look at art that good 
and you're going to listen to something that's got art that good covering it, you know, it better be good, you know? Because so, he, he puts a lot of time into those things. I mean, he is penciling them, inking them, and coloring them. It's getting a full treatment. So Nick is our like fourth beetle, if you will. And again, the only the, through the Patreon could we make that happen. So speaking of which, the Patreon, you know, we've had the Patreon and we've had ways to support our show in the past, but I really feel like the Patreon has kind of taken a step up in the past 100 episodes. We've made it a real concerted effort, you know, as part of the show. Uh, Mark, how do you feel? I mean, just kind of like loosely or tangentially, the Patreon has changed things for us. I mean, what? Wh- how has it changed the show up? I mean, obviously, we've been doing the Patreon for for some time now. I mean, prior to 300, but I, but like you said, I feel like we really hit our stride with it over the past hundred episodes. I think that in some ways, it's almost made us. I don't want to say more honest, and I'm not talking about opinions, but just in terms of like our schedule and our our delivery. Like, yeah, we we miss a we miss a new issue here and there. Or I shouldn't say we don't miss it for for good but i just mean like we're not always like super duper on time like 67 will will is coming out a little late but that's neither here nor there i just feel like you know we it's kept us on task a bit more i think it's kind of you know frankly it's created a game of of one upsmanship with ourselves like hey you know like let's 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 improve the art that we're getting and you know let's bring nick on board to do this and let's you know like Let's let's raise the stakes. And, you know, especially since we got so limited starting last year with the pandemic, I feel like we were able to kind of really focus on, okay, well, we can't use the Patreon funds to meet at a con or to do this or to that. So so what can we do to to really deliver for our listeners? And I feel like like, you know, we've put we've put more value in that than I think. I I don't want to make it sound like we weren't putting value in it prior to that, but I think like it really challenged us to kind of like get the most, most bang for everyone's bucks, if you will. I'll admit, I mean, it's an incredibly niche thing to have people supporting us as much as they do for, you know, a show about something as specific as just Spider-Man. I think that's one of the biggest things for me is like the encouragement that that provides, you know, not just keeping us regular, but knowing that this podcast that we do is so valuable to so many people. You know, I could get numbers all day, but I don't really know what those download numbers mean, you know? But, like, when people join the Patreon, it really signals to me, like, oh, like, there is, like, a real interest in content. Like, our our voices are not just something to passively spend time with. People are, you know, connecting to the show in some, some way. And it makes this quest, like, knowing that there's a dedicated core group of people supporting us, it makes our quest seem not, like a fruitless endeavor or just some kind of like vanity project that you and I are, are undergoing. Although I don't know how much vanity you get out of talking about Spider-Man for 300 episodes. It makes it seem real and, and, and it has tangible benefits too. Like, you know, now we can pay for all these subscription services to make our recordings either, whether that be monthly payments to zoom or Skype calls. It just makes doing all these things easier it makes it so I can go, hey, Ryland Bojack, you did our theme song. Do you want to write us another theme song for threats and menaces? <laughs> um, you know, and he'll and he'll do it and I can give him some money and, you know, make him feel good about his investment. And I'm hoping that people have felt the impact of that as much as I have the freedom it provides us to to get creative and do a bunch of different things 
and commission awesome artwork for everybody. That's been really fun because I think our artwork is truly unique. I mean, where else are you going to get such hyper-specific full-page artwork? It's all it's all been really cool, and the Patreon now feels essential. I know there are some people that are probably angry that they don't get the like new issue episodes, like oh, like the very week that the issue comes out. But I don't think the Patreon is that expensive. It's, it seems to be less than the cost of a comic these days. A lot of people have been kind of catching up on those episodes on Marvel Unlimited. So in a way, I feel like we're kind of fitting into the model that the comics industry has provided for us a little bit better by using the Patreon in a smarter way. I don't know if that makes any sense. Dan, you want to talk about some other big life changes beyond, you know, our, 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 our edition of the X and our Patreon stepping up? I don't know. I don't know what people know about us. <laughs> um, you know, when they listen to the show, I mean, I'm sure they have a sense of like our politics and what we what we think about storytelling and how we feel about Canadian bacon and things like that. <laughs> but other than that, you know, and maybe you're, you know, running Mark, I, I don't know how much people know about our lives. And yet I think, you know, these past few years have marked some major changes for us. So Mark, what, wh- what have these past two years meant for you? Like, outside of the show and how those changes kind of related to the show. Uh, Certainly the biggest and, you know, kind of going back to what we were alluding to earlier with season three, uh, I know we definitely took at least a month and, you know, and change off. In fact, I think you did some new issue reviews without me during season three, during the, the, the Cravens, the hunted storyline, because I bought a house. You know, yeah, you know, like that's obviously a major milestone. And, you know, those who are fortunate to do it know, like, it's a big deal. But like, you know, we were basically moving out of our little tiny Brooklyn apartment and packing up at that point, seven years of memories and everything that our child, our only child ever owned and moving into this house. And it was a process and it was stressful (laughs) and I needed time because I couldn't do both. So that was certainly like the biggest hassle. I mean, I've continued the running as people who follow me know. And, you know, I'm sure that drives Dan crazy sometimes because, you know, there'll be times where I can't go too late because I got to get up early in the morning or there are times where we're recording on a Sunday night and I'm completely fried because I ran, you know, a big race earlier in the day. You know, one of the other big changes that kind of impacted my bandwidth and my time and my energy was... You know, last summer, uh, you know, we we are one of the many people who during the pandemic got got a pet. We got our our puppy Parker named, of course, for Peter Parker. And and Parker is the absolute best. He's a Havishan. So he's half Havanese, half Bichon. Awesome puppy. You know, for those who know and, and I'm not, you know, trying to diss people who don't own who own pets, but who don't own dogs. But especially at the puppy phase, it's almost like owning a baby again. <laughs> it's like having another kid <laughs> in the house. It's been a lot at night. I mean, you know, the good news is we can, you know, we can leave him alone sometimes, but, you know, not not guaranteed not to rip things apart while he's at while we're out. But still, these are these are all big changes. And, you know. The house certainly probably has the longest lasting things. I finally have like a nice private space to record in, Dan, as you, people can see behind me who are watching on video, or as uh, available Alan referred to it as my nerdy Ned Flanders basement <laughs> or nerdy Ned Flanders beer basement. There we go. 
which has the sign, the bar with no name that you that you had purchased for me after we had moved in. So uh, there's a little piece of you here too, Dan. So thank you very much. I was going to say, like, I think the house has been a big upgrade for our show because, <laughs> you know, you're no longer recording on your back porch in whatever inclement weather was hitting New York that week that we did our best to hide in, in any form uh, imaginable. Now you're in your now you've attuned you you've uh, attained full nerddom you're in your basement podcasting about Spider-Man and and I wouldn't have it really any other way but it's also been wonderful because when I've come to visit you the several times that we that I've come to visit you it's been a great place to hang out and stay and a lot of memories were formed there recording the show in person in our own place now I I did the opposite of you because I had my own office to record the show in and suddenly I was moving in with, to this international house <laughs> where my wife and I had a small room together that we lived in and had all of our valuables in so it was quite the downgrade but we knew like if we ever wanted to afford a house you know on a teacher's salary you know there are some kind of sacrifices that need to be made but suddenly I'm having to podcast with my wife in the room which mm. couldn't have been fun for her to hear me like get agitated about Spider-Man comics for endless hours at a time. And, you know, I have kids just through the wall, so I have to be, you know, somewhat cognizant of that. That was a, you know, a lot of juggling as well. And, and probably the biggest thing for my wife and I, I mean, we, are, you know, would love to own a home and we're talking about trying to get pregnant this summer. So, you know, we'll see what changes come for the next 100 episodes. But... You know, that was a really trying time for me. Uh, I don't think I've, my wife and I have ever worked so hard, but you guys have heard her a little bit on the show. That experience really, I think, brought us together and solidified our partnership that we could get through something like that together, going from zero kids to eight kids that you know, aren't our own. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is it is uh, maybe this is why I reject the Mary Jane doesn't like Spider-Man thing is like these kind of challenges are what bring uh, or test out a couple's ability to persevere. And, you know, speaking of persevering, like when we were in that house, that's when the pandemic hit. So not only were we kind of under lockdown before, but then we were under further lockdown during like the quarantine. Our ability to get out and do things was incredibly limited just in general for over two years. And I still think I did some cool stuff for the show, but the show was almost became my like backdoor excuse to actually have any social contact with anybody. So uh, for that matter, the show was really kind of helpful for me through, uh, a, you know, an emotionally and physically trying time. We're not in the house anymore. We're in our own apartment now, which is why if people who are watching on the video can see my, I have an office again where I can pontificate about Spider-Man with no regard for anybody else in my house. So there you go. That is where we've come full circle in some ways. I mean, yeah, I have the Ned Flanders beer basement and you have the awesome office with artwork on the wall and, you know, all the all the fancy, you know, you you, you actually look like a professional podcaster. I just look like the stereotypical podcaster. So there you go. Well, there, there you go. Let's talk about some of our favorite moments from the past 100 episodes. I know you've got a list here. Tell us some of the things that like really stuck out to you as special. As much as I love some of our our, our, our fun moments together, Dan, and, and those count as memories too. I mean, like, 
it's hard for me not to kind of think back and you know we've joked about this before it's kind of like what's what's the movie that we always talk about our lives have become slumdog millionaire yeah well, yeah exactly thank you i'm like going blank here like you know once again we have 100 episodes and we got to talk to some really great talent and have some fun experiences doing it you know one of the ones was you know frankly it was an interview that you were able to secure after i had uh, multiple attempts by me from me to get this person on the show, you know, to no success, not because, you know, the person didn't want, necessarily want to come on the show, but it just, you know, like it didn't, the timing didn't work. And that's Eric Larson. You know, I, I think the fact that I couldn't get Eric on for so many years, because I had met Eric at comic, New York Comic Con, I think in like 2014. And, you know, at that point in time, he was like, he actually even said to me, because I said, oh, we, we do this podcast. We'd love to have you on. And he was like, well, why don't we just do something now? And I was like, and at that point, I didn't have my microphone because the year earlier, I had my microphone with me in New York Comic Con and it didn't go great, as I alluded to earlier. <laughs> so I was going there more or less to kind of like, like get contacts and emails and set stuff up and we can do it on our own time without, you know, without a, com a crowded con. And Eric was more or less saying to me, dude, if you don't do this now, you're never going to get me because I'm always just so damn busy with, you know, image stuff and other projects. And, you know, he's Eric freaking Larson. He's one of the biggest comic book artists of of this current generation, for sure. And probably and previous generations. So, you know, <laughs> so the fact that we were able to get him on and then like I had this like dumb, goofy smile on my face for the bulk of that interview. I, I think that was pre-video, but like, I think, Dan, you even remarked to me after the fact, was everything okay? And I was like, yeah, like, I was just amazed by the fact that we had Eric Larson on, who was one of the formidable artists of my of my youth, of my childhood in terms of Spider-Man. And he was just like the nicest, chillest guy, you know, like he was just like a lot of like a lot of fun to hang out with. Like I was kind of expecting maybe a little bit of ego and a little bit of like kind of like tight lipness like i was like oh is this guy gonna really want to talk about like spider-man from like the early 90s and he totally did and he just did it and he had fun and like it was like i don't know like to me it was like the most pleasant surprise in the world in terms of interviews maybe i, I that, maybe that makes it sound like i'm criticizing eric larson i don't mean to but like it, it just shocked me how well it went <laughs> Yeah, and I felt like he, uh, to his credit, he was like the only artist we've ever had on that I think answered my question about how would you define your style in a way that I thought was satisfying. Like he could actually get into talking about that stuff because I think I asked that of everybody and they never answer it in a way that I would find satisfying. And I guess I, I think that speaks to artists not really being like, Oftentimes, like, I guess if we go by Jack Kirby being the like the standard, it's like they're not as good of talkers about their own work as the writers are. You know, they just kind of do it and they might have some method, but maybe it's something that's not even known to them. They just uh, they develop it and it becomes a part of them. It's like having to describe your like how your intestines work. You know, you're, you're using them all the time, but you don't, couldn't really describe that. He answered that question really well, and and that was really insightful. Like I, I I grew my appreciation for his work grew tenfold that day. Like like the Grinch, a wonderful moment, and I spread holiday cheer everywhere I go now. And I cut the roast beast. You know, speaking of interviews with major image people, or I guess not. Sorry, not image people with major artists. What what's the next one on your list here? Also, it's like talking about 
artists who know how to give an interview, I would say. And that uh, was our interview. And this was a recent one with uh, John Romita Jr. And like, again, this was one that kind of came as a surprise. Now, I had reached out to JRJR several years ago to come on our show. And I, I won't get into the 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 nitty gritty of what happened but it 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 fell apart like kind of late in the game and you know subsequent subsequent follow-ups that i made to him it just didn't work out and i couldn't either he didn't you know and and then even got to the part where frankly he had kind of stopped replying probably because he's one of the busiest working artists in the world it just it just felt like it wasn't fated for ramita jr to come on the show and then as we were getting ready for season five you know, we were trying to get other guests on. And, and I think you even said, do you want to try JRJR again? And I'm like, fine. It's not like he's going to reply. And like, I sent that email at like nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was it had to be in February because it had just snowed because it came up in the email that he sent back to me within an hour. He was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, give me a call. And he's like, leaves me his phone number. <laughs> So give me a call, but not tonight, because I got to go dig my mom and dad out from the snow. So I'm like, okay, this is like this, like he's like talking like he knows me personally, and I'm like, did he remember this whole thing from several years ago? Several years earlier, when you know we couldn't get him on. I don't know, but all I know was, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth, and and again, I was kind of like, oh god, I'm going to lose him again. I'm going to lose him again. And then the whole thing got sealed. I was in a an outlet store, a clothing store with my wife going shopping. We had taken the day off from work to go out. And all of a sudden, my phone starts buzzing. And it's Jared Gerard texting me to set up a time to do this. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like <laughs> shopping, you know, at, at, a, at a gap or whatever with and, and I'm texting with JRJR, which is like, you know, again, the slumdog millionaire life. And we get this guy on and, you know, again, like the total pros pro, like knows how to talk about his life, his career and his art. The nicest guy. I mean, like, I I don't know. To me, it's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done because it was just like, you know, given the magnitude of who the person was, but also like just how it went. And I, I, I don't know. I felt like that's like kind of the pinnacle of our interview work. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? I 100% agree. And I thought it was even more fun. That he dropped the ball on us there at the very end where he was like, hey, by the way, we may need, we may need to talk again real soon. And like basically told us that he was coming back to Marvel. And literally the day that I published that podcast, the news broke that he was coming back to Marvel. And it couldn't have been like better timing. You know, like we didn't know what we were getting into, but like. The, the guy was passionate about Spider-Man and Marvel Comics on our show. And it showed because he is going back to Marvel now. And I don't think we've really seen yet the announcement of like fully what he's doing for them. I mean, we know he's doing a Fantastic Four issue and he's you know doing covers and stuff. I think that, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we can have him back on the show again real soon if um, upcoming announcements prove you know, connected to our show in some way. So I thought that was a really neat connection there. But, you know, on top of JRJRB just being like the nicest guy, it seemed very willing to come back and like he had a good time on our show. And anytime a guest has a good time and feels like we respected the time they gave us it is good news on my end. That's kind of a barometer for me about how well we're doing. 
the you know the COVID nineteen pandemic. I mean, that's that's not just our memory. That's um, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, everybody's memory right now. But I felt Dan, and you know, again, we're we're in the self congratulation mode. I will always look back about how we kind of pivoted during that whole situation. I mean, granted, we do a, we do a podcast where you know you're in you're in California, I'm in New York. I mean, we're kind of working in this virtual sphere anyway. But like, we were literally just starting season four when this all started and we were going into this new format with the, you know with the video interviews and stuff like that and you know we started off by saying like i think you had reached out to tom brevoort and you know marvel's um executive editor on twitter like we can get tom brevoort on and like you know we had him on and it was like well what are we going to talk to him about and you know we kind of joked like well, we finally can ask him about the Spider-Man manifesto, which is something you and I have kind of like argued about on the show or not argued about, but discussed on the show for years now. But like I, I like that we also used a big portion of that interview so much so that we broke it into two parts to talk to him about COVID and the comic book industry and how it might be reflected. I mean, like, you know, again, like it's it's a little navel gazy, but we made the move and, and we made it work and we made it relevant. And I felt we made good content out of it. I, I don't know that I was expecting Marvel to do anything COVID related, although a year and a half into it, I'm still surprised that we haven't gotten any kind of like COVID related content reflected in, in the books. But it was really interesting to kind of talk about like how that kind of thing can be integrated into the comics or, or not. Um, and the decisions that go behind that. And it was neat because we split that Brevoort interview up into two episodes and allowed the COVID stuff to kind of live on its own. And I was thrilled to kind of like, I mean, the news broke shortly after that interview was released that, uh, you know, Diamond was shutting down their shipment and comics were essentially paused, you know, altogether for over a month. And, uh, you know, I reached out to all those comic book stores to get their kind of feeling on it. And that was really special. So I thought like, this is cool. I would like to do more of this timely stuff in our show, bring in the real world uh, into our show. And I, you know, we are not always able to do that. There's not always a topic that needs to relate to Spider-Man comics. And some people come to our show for escapism from the real world. Nothing like hearing two cranky guys talk about comics to escape uh, the pressures of, uh, of reality. I, I thought this was a really appropriate because everybody didn't know what the heck was going on in the world. I went into a lot of these conversations freaking out and a lot of the people kind of cooled me down and that was actually really helpful. So like Tom was great. Those comic shop owners were great. And I think we put together a kind of really neat group of, uh, of podcasts there. You know, kind of in that vein too, Dan, you know, a few months later when um, right after the, the George Floyd murder, I felt we, again, kind of pivoted and, and did a socially conscious episode when we talked about race in comics and in Spider-Man and in superhero comics in general. We had Brian Jacobs and Donovan Grant come on the show to talk about that. And, you know, I, I know that it's always a risk. You know, as you mentioned, people use this show as an outlet for escapism. So it's a risk getting political. We would get more political, I think, in certain episodes later on <laughs> in the year, which we can talk about in a bit. But you know what? Like, you know, my as as I said in the interview with Alan, my roots are in journalism. And I know, Dan, as a filmmaker, you know, you you've I think I believe you have like a, a, a desire to 
tell the story of not just, you know, not just to recap fiction here, but to, to tell a larger story. And I like that we've been able to use our podcast to do that. If it annoys or frustrates some people, I'm willing to will, willing to live with it because I'm proud of those episodes specifically, both the, the Tom Brevoort interview and then our our episode in June about you know the the social uprising that was happening in this country. Yeah, I mean, I think our 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 race in in Spider Man comics is one of our best episodes we've ever put together, and that's largely because you and I shut up for most of it. You know, <laughs> I like any episode where it's not actually us blathering. And Brian and Donovan are two guys that I would dare say are smarter than both of us. Like, if they ever start a Spider-Man podcast, we're doomed. I don't know how you you could continue without acknowledging some of this stuff because it will inform like our opinions, you know, uh, on 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 books. And I hope that we can do more episodes like that. And if I'm just going to be totally behind the scenes here. That is our most downloaded episode in the past five years of the show. You know, I think people are hungry for that content and somehow it struck a nerve and and people really felt like it was the right time for it. And again, I'm not just after the clicks, but it is helpful to know that people are enjoying some content. And so I hope, you know, one, I hope we don't have to do stuff like that again because of how awful the circumstances were behind you know, what formulated that episode, but it's a topic that I think even if there was no murder of George Floyd or social uprising was one that we would have to address eventually. And so I'm hopeful that you and I can continue taking on such heavy and complicated topics as race in comics. You know, it seems like our audience is is there with us. So that's kind of exciting. In terms of getting other subject matter experts and us kind of shutting up a bit, you know, we continue to trend, I felt, in this past 100 episodes of bringing in comic book creators, not necessarily to interview them about a run or their career, but to kind of to have them add to our dialogue, to add to our conversation about other topics that we were discussing as part of our seasonal content. Like we had Jam Demetrius come in to talk about Harry Osborn as the Green Goblin um, when we did that episode in season three. We had Carla Pacheco come in to talk about Spider-Woman when we did that episode for season four. After Stan Lee uh, passed away in at the end of 2018, we had Jerry Conway come back. Um, you know, Jerry is one of our best recurring guests for sure to talk about Stan Lee. And, you know, it's it's like I said, we started that trend probably, you know, between 100 and 200. But I still feel it's one of our most successful models. Oh, we had Ron Friends come in. I mean, obviously, Ron Friends was talking about work that he did with Kid Who Collected Spider-Man. Like we did it in, in, a, in a way that I think added new light and and insights to the process uh, in a way that you don't normally get. And I like that we've kind of turned the microphone over to these creators to talk about stuff in a different way than just the, so what did you do when you did this and this comic and that comic and that comic? Because I'm sure they get questions like that all the time and it makes them want to like bang their head against the wall. <laughs> the Ron Friends interview is one of my favorite things I've ever done professionally, as a hobby, whatever, because it's the kind of behind the scenes I really don't think you can get anywhere else. And it's the kind of thing that I wish Marvel did more of, which is like highlighting the process behind some of these classic stories. And, you know, a story like Kid Who Collects is not going to get like the omnibus absolute treatment. It's 11 pages. 
right? It's not a graphic novel, and but I think it's de- equally deserving of the that treatment. And you know, if Marvel's not going to do it, which I think they seem keen on on it, not 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 out of any kind of spite or anything, just because I I, I you know I don't I don't think that it ultimately holds that much value, but but for us it holds a ton of value. And for Ron, it holds a ton of value. And, you know, if I can give back to like Ron and say, I care about this thing so much, please talk to me. You know, you know, Ron, he's the most humble person ever. And he likes to downplay his involvement. But I feel like going through that process in some way, I was able to point out to Ron just how much that story is truly his as well. And Ron was able to give us so much of himself it's not a Ron friends interview until I make him cry, which is, which is pretty, pretty standard, but you know, it's, it's, it's more just like, I learned so much about the pro. Like, I, I think I learned more in that episode than I've learned in like years of doing the show, you know, just from Ron talking about how he approaches a page, a blank page and, and crafts it outward. And, um, you know, if people haven't listened to that episode, I know it's like two hours long, but I think it'll be very worth your while to crack open the book and flip the pages while you're you're listening to it. I, I, I remain so proud of that. I'm sorry for gushing on it. It's it's maybe my favorite episode of anything. And I, I'm sorry that you couldn't be there for it, Mark. I actually think, not to say that you would have ruined this, because I don't think you would have, but there was a level of intimacy to that episode of just the two people talking about it that I think made it really special. Absolutely fair. You can blame Johnson and Johnson uh, for that for me, but you know, but <laughs> hey, it made better content. So there you go. And, and just in terms of you know, this is this is the last thing I'm going to mention in terms of like memories and highlights. You know, and this is something that Dan, I got to tip my hat to you for because this was this was your idea. This was your 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 baby from the onset. I had my doubts that it would be worthwhile, uh, but I really feel it has changed the game for us significantly. And that was the becoming doing the live streams. For our Patreon members, when we discuss new issues or, you know, these big uh, seasonal episodes when, you know, that where we've gone live and answered questions and had Bob Dole harass us in the comments, people ask me what my beer is, whatever. But like, I feel like it, it again, like similar to like Patreon kind of raising our game. I feel like doing that has raised our game. It's added a new level of fun to the show. I know that. We've had our hiccups with it and we're still kind of figuring things out, especially when we have a third person on with us. But like overall, I think it's one of the most positive developments that we've had for the show over the past eight years. And, you know, I I, I challenge you to say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love it. I wish it worked more consistently. And I know that it's, it's the complication is I have decided to, like I always do, take things 10 steps further than they probably needed to go, which is like having a beautiful framing device and portraits and cycling images. And if I just got rid of all that, it would be a lot smoother. But no, I want to go the extra 10 miles to make it into a really cool experience. And I think it's worth it. I'm still investigating ways to make, you know, it it a better experience. And the Patreon funds do help because doing the live stream is not cheap and building that whole system was not cheap. You know, thanks to Andy Myers, my my partner on the graphic novel that I'm working on, he helped us kind of set that up and you know, I paid him to to work on that and he did a really great job. But some of these systems, you know, the minute you go live, things start falling apart and 
That's taught me a lot of patience and tested just how cool-headed I am. I think I'm a fairly cool-headed individual, but I think even Mark saw me sweat during some of those live streams. The first one especially, I was like, it was a a rigid experience, I'll say that. Uh, Yeah, I love the live stream. I think it's been really exciting and and like it allowed things like like the Ron Friends, you know, like adding the visual component. I know there are a lot of people that listen only on the podcast, but I do think like, hey, we're talking about a visual medium. It'd be it, it's great to have a visual component. And and really old listeners to the show will remember when I used to do that on the podcast where the image would change while you're listening to it. But that functionality is gone. So now, you know, you know what, Apple, you can't keep a good dog down. And I am going to come back ferociously with new ways to be innovative about our podcasting space. So anyway, yeah, right. I think it's been fun and it's made us be a little more kind of like in the we have to kind of be in the moment because we're live and we got to be on our game. Speaking of of you innovating, you know, the last hundred episodes have 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 has seen you kind of. Take your wings and fly, Dan. Why don't you go through some of your own personal highlights that you that you did without me mucking things up? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is more just kind of like uh, more indicative of me living in L.A. than anything else, because there's just a lot of things that go on around here, especially with like the movies and stuff. And so it's kind of allowed me to you know, investigate things that just doesn't make sense to bring someone along for or or technically like it doesn't make sense. So like Mark and I had a shared experience where we were called on by Aaron couch. Who's the editor of the heat vision blog at the Hollywood reporter to write about like the top 100 comic book runs of all time as chosen by them. And, and, and how Aaron put it to us was we tried to get Stan Lee and we couldn't. So we re- we thought to reach out to you guys, which is like the height of all compliments. But uh, that kind of connected me with the Hollywood reporter and I managed to kind of work for them for a while, which has kind of allowed me some access to things. I went to Stan Lee's memorial in in Hollywood, which was one of the most moving experiences of my life. I I didn't podcast about it, but you know, if I could have recorded it, I would have, but it was a secret, you know, affair. And someday I'll talk about it in, in great detail, but things like going to the venom, you know, release party, you know, I got to talk and interview Todd McFarlane there, which will forever make Mark jealous, um, which which is, you know, even better than talking to Todd, who was actually really great. There's a photo of me and him that has become infamous because it looks like we are like lovers or something. He is all over me. But also like things like the What's Up Danger exhibit, which was like a celebration of Into the Spider-Verse, which let me, you know, I did a whole show on that. And then I that let me meet the concept artist behind that movie, so I made friends with Yuki Demers, uh, who who designed so many parts of that movie and put so many of the Easter eggs into that movie. So that was really neat, that interview. You know, meeting people like Matt Singer and his book. He's like a film critic, and that's been neat. Or even being interviewed by the BBC as like the Spider-Man expert. Couldn't have imagined that in a million years. I got to meet Danny Fingeroth again when he came to L.A. on his book tour for A Marvelous Life and... Met, did an interview with him about that. You know, the COVID and comic book stores thing we talked about earlier was like kind of born out of a lot of LA shops that I went to. I've made good friends with Tristan Matthews. I would say is one of my closest friends out here in LA. And I interviewed him about his Guinness Book of World Records collection of Spider-Man memorabilia. You know, like 
beyond just meeting a cool guy to interview, it's like I've made good friends out of this. Yeah, and you even scored me some like uh, vintage Mets pants from Tristan. So I mean, you know, <laughs> what's what's not to love? <laughs> yeah, Mark gets the kickback pleasures, and like one of the coolest things is like talking to Nicholas Hammond, you know, the original Spider-Man on our show um, for that episode that we did. That only happened because of my work here in LA. When I was working for a screening series, I learned how to basically utilize like Hollywood talent agencies to reach out to people. And so I actually like went through Nicholas Hammond's like agent and manager because, you know, again, Slumdog Millionaire, the, re- the weird connections of events, you know, Nicholas Hammond was in the new movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it and just ended up perfect. He was on a press tour and I managed to book it through his agent and manager to have him on our show. And, uh, you know, who's to say who is going to come on the show in the future? But I couldn't believe that we got Nicholas Hammond to come on the show. I mean, Sound of Music and Spider-Man, two totally equal things. Uh, <laughs> really, was really, uh, really awesome. We alluded to it earlier, but do we want to also talk about the debut of some of our scripted fun tale episodes <laughs> that we that we rolled out the last hundred episodes? Yeah, sure. I'm never sure what the audience thinks about these things because I never I never hear from the audience about them. Yeah, the, you know? we kind of get met with crickets with it, but that doesn't stop us. <laughs> yeah, well, we have so much fun with doing these things. So these are like, you know, some people think that our actual show is scripted, which it's not. It's really not. I mean, other than the parts that probably obviously sound scripted, like the intros and outros. But like our fully scripted content is like where we sit down and Mark, we always are like, let's just write a five to 10 minute thing. And it always ends up being this 20 to 40 minute extravaganza that we throw at Rick and that he's got a cobble. And like to Rick's credit, he goes out and records his own sound like and Foley work. He doesn't pull it from a sound library. So anytime you hear something on the show, he has gone out into the field to get something really neat and cool. And specifically, we're talking about the an annual's Christmas Carol, which you wrote, Mark, and then the threats and menaces episode. We kind of tag teamed on. I think uh, you, you could take more of the credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you want to deflect and give me more of the credit. There you for go. That. There you go. Our, our, our send off to swarm. You know, yeah, stop, and stop the steal. <laughs> most notable is like Matt Little as our JJJ. Matt was one of the one, an early guest on our show. If you don't know, he's the guy that filmed Pizza Rat, that famous uh, internet video. And he is also our J. Jonah Jameson. I thought these were a ton of fun. The best memories of it are like, one, for the annual's Christmas Carol. We recorded that when my wife and I came to visit you. And we were in your basement trading off the microphone, making complete goofs of ourselves in your basement. It was some of the most fun. And watching your wife do, you know, like your, your, our, our, our Deb Whitman is maybe the best thing ever. <laughs> do you have any memories of any of these kind of pieces of content? Oh, I mean, 100%. I mean, obviously, like, you know, we, we, I, we knew you were coming and it was like, we we should do this while you're here because, you know, why not? Like, let's take advantage. I dabbled in some like script writing back in the day. I mean, and you know, I, I, I mentioned my background in journalism, but I do other writing, too, obviously. So, you know, getting to do stuff like this has been a lot of fun. And like you said, it's it's 
you know, people might think other stuff is scripted that that we do, but it's really not. And, you know, even like the Flash Thompson or Swarm stuff that we did prior to this, most of it's kind of improv, which is probably why it's so terrible. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like being able to kind of actually think on this stuff and try and get the jokes to land and stuff like that. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to whatever the next project may be, although hopefully it doesn't involve you know the re the the reinstatement of swarm in august okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we've got silvermane for now so uh we'll you know we'll, we'll take it i thought the threats and menaces episode was really fun and obviously i'm biased because i wrote most of it just having matt little and really like assembling a crew of voices for that was so fun like when i receive like you know recordings from people like my friend wyatt unger who was our our intrepid news reporter that was getting stung by bees. Like, it would just be hours of me laughing at my computer, listening to all the different takes that he did. It brought me back to my directing days, which is actually how I met your wife. I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but, like, I, as a filmmaker, uh, I had a directing actor's class, and Mark's wife, we would find out years later, was one of the actresses in my class. So Mark and I are more connected than we ever realized. That was kind of amazing. A couple of like random thoughts here. I mean, there's some other things that we've been doing that probably don't fall under like favorite episodes and stuff. Although for me, these next ones kind of do. Mark, you you wanted to start (laughs) off by saying something. Yeah, one of the big things that have happened over the past hundred episodes is the 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 two annual episodes that that you did with the help of my wife who was the wonderful narrator now of course by annual we're talking about the 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 serial spoof that you did about your I'm just going to come out and say it your stalker who was sending you weird gifts and and clues and riddles and whatnot you know, one of the, one of the things that you know came out of those episodes was, you know, it was this, it was framed obviously as this whodunit mystery story with all these different suspects. And I felt like certainly in the first episode, I was, I was set up to be like one of the main suspects. I wasn't upset with you, Dan, but like, I, I kind of was like a little unhappy and, and, and frustrated by that because I mean, first of all, like, you know, as I keep saying over and over again, it can't be me because I just don't have the patience or the tolerance to carry out a, a prank to the levels that this person did. But also like, you know, I was kind of taking it from the frame of like, I don't want to like set this up that that I'm in on this game or I think this is part, you know, this is fun or, or whatever. Because like if someone ever did something like that to me, I would be furious. Like I don't like to me this, you know, I'm not enchanted by it. And I know you feel differently and that's that's totally cool. You know, like I've, I've basically have found the whole experience to be a little unnerving on your behalf. Again, I know you kind of feel differently about it and I'll let you explain that. It, it, it just kind of left me feeling uneasy and also kind of left me feeling vulnerable because I didn't want people to think that I was part of the game and thus game to have it happen to me as well, because I don't welcome it. I don't want I don't want people sending me riddles or presents or anything like that. Like, you know, like. I'm here to entertain you and I like to be entertained by Spider-Man and and I'll chat with you online on Twitter when I see who you are, or what your handle is. But like, let's let's kind of, 
you know, and, you know, I've met people from the show at cons or, you know, I remember when Zeke came and visited New York, I bought him lunch. We can, we hung out in New York City. It was a lot of fun. Like, that's all cool and on the up and up. I'm not saying like I'm antisocial, but this kind of crosses a line for me as a personality, if you will. And, and your kind of embrace of it has always kind of left me a little uneasy about it. So I'm curious to what, what, what you think about it. Well, I, I appreciate your honesty about, about it, Mark. And you're not alone in the discomfort. Like my wife and family, as I said, at the end of annual episode two, are quite perturbed by this. You know, when you were talking about it, I couldn't help but look at myself here on, on the Zoom and see myself <laughs> smiling, which I'm sure some people will look at and say like, oh, Dan's in on it or whatever. But like, I do find it kind of enchanting that like a mystery has found its way, way to me. You know, like, like right. how often do you find yourself involved in a mystery in your life? You know, it, it is this right. crossover between fantasy and reality. But I think that's where maybe I went a little wrong with this. Fantasy is not a real thing. Reality is the only real thing. And so, like, one, I wish I had explained this to our audience in a more clear way. Because I feel like some people booted up those annual episodes and were like, whether they listen to Serial or not, we're like, what is this? And if you haven't listened (laughs) to the Serial podcast, I, I recommend you do so the first season of that show because it will provide additional context to what the heck those annual episodes were, which is a spoof of the serial podcast. But I don't think that I made people understand that, no, this is a real thing that is actually happening to me. (laughs) Like I am receiving letters in the mail. I am receiving, I don't think it's black. I wouldn't call it blackmail. I would call it like a playful, like kind of gesturing of like playing Norman Osborn. And I think I helped birth this thing into existence because it started off completely innocuous. And I joked in a way about it being like a green goblin mystery. And it has evolved into such to, to your point about your discomfort with it versus mine. Like I still feel it's innocuous because it involves so many different people. Like I've gotten letters from all over the globe. You know, my initial suspicions is that it's the people in the Slack or listeners to the show that are pulling a prank and having fun with it. I thought I could kind of create this kind of mixture of tongue in cheek satire and real world mystery in a way that would be fun for for audiences to kind of join in on. And I brought your wife into it because she's a great actress and she was really into this mystery. I mean. Oh, she 100 percent. Yeah, can can you can you tell me about like what's going on with her feelings about it now? Like, have they changed, or she's still really into it? I think she's really into it, but like, I I also think, frankly, and I'm not trying to ruin your fun, but I think she saw how uneasy it was making me. So I think she might be she might have pulled back a little bit on her end because she didn't want to upset me about it. Because like like I said, like I, I I hate to make anything about me and and you know in all likelihood it's probably not ever going to become about me but like all i'm thinking as this is happening is like oh my god if someone ever did something like this to me i would lose my damn mind over it like i you know in a not good way like amy i think first she didn't like it my wife amy didn't like it because it's all i would talk about because i was just (laughs) trying to like figure out what the heck this was, you know, and the annual podcast that we did, the two episodes were really kind of an exploration of me trying to figure out 
you know, what is going on here? And like with real suspects, like real people that I thought were doing it. But as time has gone on, I've moved out of the realm of realistic suspects. Like I have literally no idea who is doing this. The thing that has moved me from my camp of just having fun with it to it being downright creepy. And, and, and again, I, I feel even weird devoting this much of the show to talking about this, but I do think, you know, if I wind up dead someday, at least there's going to be some hard evidence, um, <laughs> you know, because you said this person was sending me stuff and I'm going to correct you and say, no, this person is sending me stuff because I'm still getting stuff. The thing that moves it from fun to creepy is that I made a simple request that they email me at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com. The offer still stands anonymously. Let me know that this is just for fun so that I can calm my wife and family down about it and have some fun with it. Like I'm, you know, and, and produce more annual episodes. Like I think this is worthy of a mystery treatment. It's really damn intriguing. Um, At least I think so. I don't know what our audience thinks about it. They've not done that. And that's a really simple request, I think, Mark. Um, And that they haven't done that suggests to me that maybe it is more in the realm of how you uh, characterized it as stalker than it is in the realm of like friendly prankster. Again, if I had to like flip a coin or whatever and, and say what I think it is, I still think it's friendly prankster. But I don't know why friendly prankster doesn't go, hey, there's no threat here. So that's why there's no more annual episodes for people who are wondering what's going on with the mystery. The mystery is still out there and I'm not keen on fueling it until my demands are met, which is something that allows me to sleep at night. Although I still can't really get enough. I have to admit, it's still very exciting to receive puzzles in the mail. So (laughs) I'm conflicted about it. And I, I, I hope that that is enough to satisfy you in some way. You don't have to answer to me. You just might have to answer to, you know, the the axe-wielding maniac at your front door <laughs> with a mystery someday. I'm kidding. I don't think I I don't think it's sinister, Dan. I really don't, but like I do I I I tend to think it might be someone that may not fully understand the 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 ramifications of what their actions do to people and, you know, that that's I'm not trying to sound judgmental here, but like that, that can be upsetting in its own right. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, 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 I agree. I feel that your request is a simple one. And, you know, I, I guess on your behalf, if this person is listening, I would reiterate, like, you know, we're not, we're not asking you to end the game. We're not asking you to reveal who you are, but we're asking you to kind of just insinuate that you understand that this is a game and that you're having fun. And if you can't do that and you want to keep doing this, then maybe we do have to, you know, maybe if Dan so chooses, it does have to be treated as not fun anymore. So that's all. Yeah. So I appreciate you being honest about it, Mark. I have had many conversations about this. I don't know that I've ultimately made the right decision in how I'm, (laughs) I'm handling it. But like you said, I may have to answer to my God, at some point, Mark, you, I'll pull back the curtain here as we've been doing all episode. You've written this screed in our notes about, about yourself. And I, but I think it's appropriate that you get into the topic that you've written about here. And it starts with a simple question, Mark, what is that question? 
Yeah, well, I, and I also feel like this question ties in perfectly to our last topic here, and in, 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 in my opinion of it. And uh, that question is, have I gotten crankier? You know, like it came up in our interview with Alan, you know, like he, he joked that, you know, one of us is kind of excited and into the games of Spider-Man and one of us seems less so. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it, it, when he asked that, it kind of got me on this moment of reflection here uh not not to insinuate that we we filmed our segments for this episode out of order but we did like okay so here here's the deal like it's not a shock that i'm not grooving on this current run of comics when it comes to the nick spencer run i actually think it's a bit of a letdown following the dan slot run not because i felt the dan slot run was was a bad run i think i like it more than most I certainly was desperate for a new voice on Spider-Man following Dan Slott. I, I felt that, you know, he was on the character for way too long. I, you know, as a general rule of thumb, I don't like these like mega long creative runs like Bendis on Avengers and Miles Morales or Chris Claremont on X-Men. If you really want to reach way back, I think that when you, when you have one creator working on one character or one team of characters for too long, it creates uh, stagnation. I, I, I like I like when the big two kind of rotate through different creators and, you know, lets people go in and out, you know, put the toys back in the box, take them out of the box, etc. But, you know, for me specifically, when it comes to Spencer, like we were talking about with with Alan, you know, it's this decompressed storytelling where I'm just feeling I'm not feeling entertained. I, I, I feel like it's making me work too much as a reader to try and keep up like it's not an affront to you, Dan, because I I like having these conversations, and I like you know even when we're not talking about it on the show, I like texting with you about it off the air. But I I you know as I kind of insinuated with Alan, I do kind of hold my breath a bit when we have a new issue that comes out and there's like some kind of big reveal, especially as it relates to Kindred or anything really these days, because you know the way Nick Spencer tells the stories, I just know that. Yeah, as evidenced by the last two issues that have come out, you know, we we get something and then it's, you know, we still got to sit around and wait for another six months before the next chess piece moves forward. And I know, Dan, you're going to want to talk about it. I know our listeners probably want us to talk about it. They, 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 they want to hear us speculate. But like, I just feel like especially so in the last like hundred episodes or so that like my patience has started to wear thin with this kind of stuff. And I don't want to just keep endlessly speculating about stuff when I don't feel it's going somewhere. I don't know if that's kind of ruining the vibe of the show or not. I don't know. What do you think? Dan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted speculating too. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I think I'm be- able to put on like a better face because I know that people want us to talk about it, right? Like when at the end of the issue, Harry Osborne is in a prison cell, you know, there's, we got to talk about that. And, and there's no way to talk about it without going, well, what the heck does this mean? You know, instead of just leaving it there on the page. It's, it's hard, but you're right. Like it, it does get exhausting after a while. You know, maybe that's a good twist in terms of a mystery, but I do think the pacing of this run has really been the problem. And, but in, in regards to like the crankiness of the show or the negative attitude of the show, like I think about this a lot. When we started the show, we wanted to be like the positive guys. That was like our spin, you know, like we were going to be the guys that love superior Spider-Man because we did. And we created our show to, to fill that vo- what we felt was a void of people like talking positively about the comic and being like people that are you know, boostering 
the creators. You know, like we want to create a positive fan space. But the more I think about it, I don't think we need to be those guys. And maybe we were never those guys. We were never the like uh, super optimistic guys because I remember us giving like stuff in the superior run a bit of a like ding as it trudged onward. I think what we need to be or what we are is the honest guys. And I, I don't mean like pulling back the curtain and like revealing something for what it is. We're honest to how we feel about something. And I think that's appropriate. We can be honest during even our favorite times on the book. Like there will be a time mark where we get a creative creative run on this book that we're just gaga about. And we might show up each week just like cheerleading, you know, uh, the, the book. In regards to Spencer, I think I, was, I too was ready for a change. And I still think that Nick Spencer ha- has great promise as a Spider-Man writer that for whatever reason, he's not living up to. And I, I think you can lay a lot of those creative decisions at his feet, positive and negative, but I do. Th- it does seem to me that there's something bigger at play in the spider office that's gone really wrong. Like, okay, there were great parts of the Dan Slot run, for sure, but there were, there were changes that occurred that you can just see the decline on this title just kind of across the board. And I don't know if that means that like Amazing Spider-Man as a book is broken, like, but I, I do know that attempts to fix it need to be made. And whether you and or I are enjoying the book or not, I think the narrative our show has changed week in and out to kind of diagnosing what's going on with the title. I think that's been really valuable. And I think we've been a voice for people that aren't really grooving on this run for whatever reason. And hopefully we've been able to articulate, even if you're really loving this run, we've been able to articulate our thoughts on it coherently, which is what I hear from most people, you know, for as popular as our show is, we don't get a lot of emails that are like, you guys are dumb, which is like what most of the internet is. So I think we're doing something right. But what's been really helpful, I think, is bringing in an outsider like Alan every now and then. Checking in with him every now and again has allowed us to kind of have a more holistic discussion of the book in a helicopter view rather than the specifics of each issue. Like, I think our review of Amazing Spider-Man 60 was really great because it wasn't even necessarily a review of that issue more than it was like, what is going on with this title? I do think there is something to us figuring out what we do when we're on a run that we don't love. Like, I think that's where the seasonal content came out of. It's like volume three of amazing Spider-Man, you and I were both really glum and we needed something to freshen things up. And I think we've been able to be creative enough on this show to keep us from being truly glum about volume five. And I don't think volume five is anywhere near as bad as volume three, but I don't want to be the negative guys, but I think we're the honest guys. Can I, can I rebrand us that way? I'll I'll take it. I like that. (laughs) I mean, do you have any response to that? Do, I mean, like, ultimately, do you think that you've become more cranky? No, I don't. I I think that, like I said, I, I will admit that I have lost patience about it. But, like, I I will own up to that. And, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like in volume three, to go back to what you were just saying before, I felt like I was far more feisty about things. I mean, like, 
you know, go back, either listen to our episodes about Spider-Verse or like read some of my blog posts on Chasing Amazing about Spider-Verse. And I take a flaming dump on those comics. I mean, I really do. I mean, like talk <laughs> about negative. Like, I mean, I'm 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 as about as neg- I mean, I'm not like going to ad hominem and, and attacking the creators for it. But like basically call out like these are bad comics. And I do think that I think they're bad comics. And I don't say that lightly. I don't think these are bad comics. I think these are sometimes poorly told comics or poorly paced comics. But I don't think these are, like, bad. I feel that, similar to your Norman Osborn mystery, I feel like, as a fan, I'm being engaged in a game that I don't want to play. And, you know, and, and I think that comes through in how I talk about the comics when we review them now. And, you know, just like earlier, you said to me, you were thanking me for my honesty. And it's the same here. I'm 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 just being honest. Like if I'm not keen on the idea of playing along with something because I don't feel like the person who's trying to play the game is playing fairly or or playing a game that I'm really interested in playing, then, you know, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to just be open and transparent about it like hey you know i don't think these are bad but i also think this game is dumb (laughs) (laughs) and that's where i think we're at so i i mean you know maybe that comes across as crankiness but like i think it's just more kind of you know like i said in that one review we did that seemed to kind of hit the mark for some people it's like We've all gone through a lot the past year, like, you know, like, and these are supposed to be like escapism, escape, you know, you know escapes for us. And sometimes when you have to just keep working that hard as a reader to like stay engaged in something, it's not fun. And I just want to have fun. I want to be entertained. And I, I, I want the creative teams and the editorial teams to kind of do a little bit of the lifting on their own and not just keep throwing it at the readers all the time. So that's all. That brings me to a question that's not in our notes, actually. I'm kind of curious, you know, and I don't think this is one we've really talked about on the show much, which is how has doing this show changed your relationship with reading these comics? That's a good question. I mean, like it, it's. It's obviously changed it. I mean, like, you know, just the sheer fact that, like, I pull tons of comics every week and, you know, I make a point out of reading Amazing Spider-Man immediately when it comes in, not just because I want to know what happens, but because it's part of it's it's almost like my job now (laughs) to be able to talk about (laughs) it. You know what I mean? So, like, you know. Even if I am, and I think we talked about this with Alan too, even if I'm not totally jazzed about the content at the time, like I'm reading Amazing Spider-Man and and digesting it the way I would as if it was like the best book in the universe to me. You know what I mean? Because like it's kind of just part and parcel with doing this show now. I'm not trying to sound cocky about it, but like I feel like the way I tend to read comics in general, I try and I try read it with a critical eye it's just part of how i like to look at things i don't know if that's any different but i feel like yeah the show is kind of maintained engagement in the books in a way where maybe if i wasn't doing the show i wouldn't still be engaged i would say i don't know if that's a true answer to your question but that's kind of how i feel do you feel like this kind of critical eye is a natural outgrowth of like your 
development, like as a growing person and an, an adult, like you would have arrived here anyway, or is it just kind of the, like you said, the active engagement with it? I mean, cause I feel like chasing amazing blog was, you know, and the reason that you stood out to me to create this show with is, you know, you were doing that kind of thing. I feel like on, on that page, do you feel like th- this kind of thing would always find you or the show has kind of pushed you further? I think the show has pushed me further. And then I also feel like life has pushed me further. I mean, like, you know, like we, we've we talked about it earlier in this episode and we talked about it at the 100th episode and the 200th episode. I mean, like we are evolving and growing as as people and as human beings and as our experiences are changing and as our experience changes, I think our perspectives change. And yeah, I mean, maybe some of my recent criticism from the past 100 episodes is reflecting a lot of my growth as a person. I mean, like clearly, like one of the words I keep coming back to is patience and like exhaustion. And I, I, you know, without getting too much into the weeds here, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, like life has gotten harder over the last 100 episodes. Not in a bad, I mean, not that it's bad, but like it's gotten harder. The pandemic made things harder. Work and job changes and living changes and, you know, kids getting older and puppies being introduced and marriages evolving have made things harder. So when it comes to looking at, you know, still trying to maintain that critical eye with comics and with Spider-Man, maybe that lack of patience and bandwidth has been reflected in how my criticism is formed. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's absolutely accurate. I mean, I, I can't say that my life, I mean, maybe my life has changed just as dramatically as yours. I mean, I do feel like a different person. You know, I, I went through serious bouts of like depression, you know, that I think the show has really kept me buoyed through. And, and that's been really wonderful. You know, but it it isn't without a lot of sacrifice and, and hard work. On that note, um, and here I am avoiding opening up about myself, but I, I just don't, I think you said it all. This is our 300th episode, which is hard to believe, you know, and yet it felt inevitable and like we've been here for a long time. Like, what does that milestone mean to you other than it matching up with one of your favorite Spider-Man comics? <laughs> it's a testament to... I think our our hard work, I think it's a testament to our passion. It's a testament to our friendship, Dan. I mean, like, you know, we've talked about this a lot, I think, both recently and privately. I mean, you know, like, you know, yeah, I I I love Spider-Man, but, you know, I keep coming back doing this because I like talking to you about it and I like doing it like this. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think I would have lasted in this venture as long as we did if I didn't like that, you know, like, you know, I, I, and I'm not trying to get too mushy here cause I'm not a mushy guy, but you know, the fact of the matter is like, you know, we, we, we have formed a bond and a friendship that, you know, is, is, has gone above and beyond what I ever would have expected from something like this, you know, like you, you are, you are truly one of my best friends and, so to make this milestone you're right it was kind of inevitable because like that that bond has been forged it's 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 there but at the same token like yeah maybe with all the life changes that i just described it would have been harder to maintain this with with someone that 
I thought lesser of, but you know, that's not the case here. So we keep going strong and we keep doing it. Well, now you're going to make me cry, Mark. Oh, and, and as you're drinking your Moscow mule and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think the same is true here. Like, I, I love Spider Man, but I love Mark Janakio more, you Aww. know, and, 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 and that's what this is about. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I bug you on, on texting all the time. But I, but I, 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 and I think if we didn't have the show, we would still probably talk about this. But it's almost an excuse and to do this, and and it's tough because like, think about it. Like, uh, even if you love doing something, it's still hard to find time week in and week out to do it. You know, like I love going to the movies, but there are some weeks where I just can't go to the movies. But every week there is time that I can sit down with Mark. Because I place my value in that above everything else, you know, like it, it is it is something that is not hard to find time for or be flexible about because it is truly the highlight of my week. And it's the thing that like, you know, not only just the friendship, but like mental health wise, like having a consistent friend or like something uplifting, even if we don't like the books, we're always laughing with each other about it. To the annoyance of our audience, who I think we both have weird, unique laughs, right. <laughs> but uh, which is a number one comment that we seem to get. So it's funny, like, d- does 300 mean anything to me? 300 just means that my relationship with you is as healthy as I've always thought it was. It felt inevitable that we would get here. And 400 seems right around the corner. As much of a, a, a d- damning uh, <laughs> that that proclamation might be. So do we have any advice to give other podcasters like heaven forbid they get to 300 episodes, but like what have we learned doing this that like makes our show continue whether or not it's good. I mean, let, let's just take for, let's just take for granted that some people think this show is good enough for us to keep doing this. Like, yeah, heaven forbid, what advice do we have to give to other podcasters if they dared listen this long on this show? I would say, and this is not like, I don't think this is unique, uniquely insightful advice, but I would say, you know, certainly to stay authentic and to stay true to who you are. But I, I, I would, I, I mean, like, it sounds really silly and trite, but like, especially if you're doing a show with another person, I would make sure that you really like that other person that you're doing a show with. Cause like, if you want to be in it for the long haul, like, and yeah, like things change and people evolve and, you know, you, you don't always have the same relationship that when you started something like this, but like, it's kind of like, you know, like a marriage, Dan, I hate to say it, but you know, like you, 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 you don't always like each other, but you love each other. Always, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I feel like, you know, when you do something like a podcast, like that attitude needs to be there, not just with your co-host, but with, with, even with the content or whatever you're doing. Like, you know, like you don't always have to like it, but you got to love it. You know, like if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And and to add on to that, I would say, like, find your identity, you know, and, and, and take it seriously because you're producing a show. You know, it might just seem like you and your buddies hanging out. But if that's going to be the identity of the show, like make it the best version of you and your buddy hanging out. You know, Mark and I constantly have conversations about uh, like what form our show is taking, what's the best way to present this and and all that stuff. And then I think even more than this, I might not always be guilty of doing this. It's listen, 
be willing to listen. Don't do a show if you don't want to listen to other people that are on the show talk, you know, because like, like I look forward to each week because I get to listen to Mark talk about Spider-Man issues because like, that's how I started with Mark is reading his blog. And I love Mark's voice. Like no one makes the insights that Mark does. And that's what I like about it. I like listening to Mark. And I know if I like listening to Mark, there's going to be someone else that likes listening to Mark. And, and that just doesn't, that goes beyond just Mark and me. It goes to our guests too. You know, so often I see people bring guests onto shows and they're bringing guests onto shows as a way to kind of like pad their resume of sorts. Like when Mark and I bring a guest on the show, it's only because we want to listen to them. And some of them really like to talk. So you better be really prepared to listen to them. It's like you might even want to like time a vaccine before one of them who likes to talk. Oh, I'm just kidding. Ron. We love you, Ron. <laughs> or I love you, Ron. <laughs> but like I definitely knew like as I, as as I felt the brain fog set in that day, I was like, there's no way I could listen to Ron Friends for two hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will not be doing him justice in my current state. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know, Mark, does that advice ring true to you? It does. 100%. And yeah, like, and I agree with you. It, you know, like you, you, you want to have something to say on a podcast, but especially if like you either have a co-host or you're bringing guests on, you, you, you need to be willing to hand the microphone over and, and, you know, to hear other perspectives and to not always challenge those other perspectives too. I think that's another thing. Like there are some people that feel like, you know, even if they have other people on that, they got to dig in and, and, get their point across and it's like you know like yeah like i i appreciate that you say that there are people who want to hear what i have to say and i I know there are people who want to hear what you have to say but i think at the end of the day they just want to hear our conversation and they want to like relate to our conversation and i think that's you know like as a as as a host you kind of have to accept that that it's not just about your opinion it's just about the kind of environment and dialogue and space that you create with your content it's funny because like uh, coming from a background of like film criticism, I used to be very interested in like convincing people of my opinion, you know, like, like you need to like this movie or I would get into arguments with people about like movies and stuff. And like my film criticism output is way less now because I kind of don't really care what other people think like about my opinion or their own opinion. Like I love listening to other people's opinions, but I don't feel this burden of convincing people, you know, I like the conversation. So when people write to us and they're like, you're dead wrong, Dan and Mark, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm glad you feel that way. Like, uh, (laughs) I'm not here to prove that I'm right versus you. This is just how I feel about something. Yeah, I'm just like, you're wrong, but I don't care. <laughs> Mark is a little more combative than me, maybe. Nah, nah. I'm not as combative. I mean, I, I, I get combative about, uh, combative about other random things, but not generally about, like, my opinion about a comic book anymore. So Yeah. So I guess the, the last question, I, and this is the thing I want to return to whenever we do these Centennial episodes, God willing that we make it to another one of these. You know, we always ask creators about what it means to them personally to have worked on Spider-Man stories. And I won't claim to be anywhere near like the level of creative input or whatever on, than, than those people have on this character. But I'm curious like to hear from us, and I'll answer this question too. Like, what does it mean to you, Mark, at this present moment to be doing this show? Like, what is what meaning does the show bring to you now? 
It's a couple of things. I mean, you know, kind of to to repeat one of my earlier answers. I mean, like what it means to me is, you know, it's an affirmation of my friendship. But like, you know, in terms of what it means to me, like in a broader, bigger, it is kind of absurd on its face to think about the fact that we're just two guys talking about comics every week or every other week, however the schedule works out. And that there are people, enough people to necessitate us to keep going after 300 episodes that want to hear us talk about that. And this is not just like an ego boost, but like I, I, I feel a real sense of satisfaction when we do a review or whatever. And like, I'll see a message on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the next day where it's just someone reacting to what we talked about, positive or negative, because it demonstrates that, that people are listening. So like, to me, it's like, what does this all mean? It means that we get to just contribute to the dialogue about this great character who I would love regardless of the fact that I had a podcast that talked about it and that people take it, I don't want to say seriously enough, but like sincerely enough to engage with it and and want to tune in. And like to me, like that's just like, you know, I don't have to make a penny off of that. And I don't. <laughs> it's just it, it just means the world to me that that I can be a part of this conversation. It's not as absurd or as silly as it kind of looks like on the surface to be a part of that. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, that all speaks very true for me as well. And I want to reiterate that we are really just two random guys. You know, we have happened to form this partnership and create this thing which I consider kind of the like peak creative force in, in my life. Like, uh, you know, and, and I live to create like that, that. And so this is my magnum opus, if you will. Like it, it is, and it's not even about Spider-Man, you know, it's like just the conversations and the places this show has taken me into delving into culture and friendship and what does it mean to fulfill a project? And that is really important to me as a creative person. Enough that I think I've d devoted an outsized amount of time to the production of this show. I couldn't tell you how many hours I spend on technical support for our website. Oh my God, what a nightmare. Never create a website, anybody. Just don't, never do it. To me, the meaning it brings me right now is kind of that. The, the you know, one, the friendship and my relationship with you and how that continues to blossom outwards into new people that I'm meeting and becoming friends with and connecting with, you know, as silly about, you know, about something as silly as Spider-Man, although Spider-Man's not silly. I think we've proven there's great meaning maybe to be found in the adventures of this character that dresses in red and blue for no explicable reason. For me, like, I, I think it maybe it bleeds into the show a little bit that like I clearly am someone that is trying to pull off a career change of some sort to move closer towards what I think I'm born to do, which is to create content in some way. And that's not to diminish my current employment in any way. I love my job and I love the role that I play in my job, inspiring kids and working with kids to create things. You know, and, and I've re I said earlier, I really wrestle with depression 
in, in my life, but this show has been the outlet that is regular for me and keeps me going and gives me a sort of like kind of purpose. I know it seems silly to have to find so much purpose in it, but, but I do, you know, look, I don't think this is my ultimate calling on this earth or as Mark might say, like, you know, if that's, if that, if, if that's your ultimate calling, then something has gone really wrong. Something's gone terribly yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it does feel that way. Like it, it does feel like, you know, there's real value in what, what we're doing. And I, I treat it as such. I don't know. It, it, my, my wife likes to poke at me because she thinks I do a lot of this just for the attention, you know, but like, I, I, I don't think so. Like, I mean, we don't receive enough feedback to, for that to be true. You know, I could get more attention going on TikTok or something if I really wanted to. This is a special project for me and provides me some level of meaning in my life. So I, I think that's a bad answer to the question, which is like, what does it mean to you? And I, my answer is it provides me meaning it does in some way. Like I, I feel like I'm maybe I'm not like an expert on it, but I feel like I'm a contributing voice in a greater cultural conversation. I don't claim to have any impact on the book. Although I think there are instances where you and I could probably draw a direct line between our show and uh, Spider-Man in some way. And I'm not seeking that, but it is neat to like maybe think that there is some, some way we're engaging with the greater sphere of culture. Do we want to, do we want to transition out here? I think we should, because if you're listening to this now, you've lasted maybe three hours. I don't ultimately know how long this show is, is gone. I hope you enjoyed or got something out of this episode 300, which is different than things we've done in the past, but it is time for us to go home and stop patting ourselves on the back because honestly, we're in a lot of pain right now. Absolutely. So, of course, as Dan alluded to, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers who tuned in to this 300th episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, and as always, this episode was edited by our amazing Rick Coast, the savior of the show with production support from my buddy, Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by our good friends, Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumter, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme song was produced by the composer extraordinaire, Ryland Bojack and Spider Madge. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger comes from one of my favorite YouTubers, Josh Shutton, from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. Dan, this was a lot of fun, but what do we got coming up on our next episode? Well, Mark, the trek to 400 episodes begins next week with a bunch of review episodes and more of season five of the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. We know it's been a bit of a break to bring you episode 300. We apologize. It's been like almost a month off, which is unusual for us, but we were not going to get the numbers incorrect here, even though that's <laughs> fairly common in comics. But we're going to be jumping right back on, on track with a few lingering reviews that we need to publish of our recent Amazing Spider-Man issues. And then that's going to be followed by the next episode of Season 5 entitled Other People's Enemies, which is our seasonal check-in on who Spidey's fighting during each period of books we're talking about. And if you know anything about the Stern Run, as we've illuminated, it's 
Spidey fighting other people's foes. Other people's bad guys. That's it. Other people's mm-hmm. bad guys. So that's coming up next. It's one of our favorite episodes to do each season. So expect some goofy banter about the mad thinker. I don't even know who we're going to... Stilt man? That's who we're going to be talking about. Juggernaut. Yeah, there you go. Juggernaut. <laughs> so, uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, additionally, if you are tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation is going to continue with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, we'll be back soon on YouTube. So go there and subscribe and click on the bell to stay on top of all the new live recordings that we'll be doing in the future. But as always, this will remain a podcast first and foremost. That will always remain consistent, just like how we end our show. And that is with our motto. So, Mark, until you begin wearing an alien costume and strike out for revenge on me, do your combined hatred of the annuals. What's our motto? Brains, my other. We always says with great podcasts, there must also come with us. The Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, this is Haley, and I am calling um, to say congratulations on your 300th episode. That is amazing. So I started listening to the Amazing Spire Talk right before COVID, and not only is the show super entertaining, um, I learned a lot about Spider-Man, and it's so cool to, like, have a nice Spider-Man fan community. So that's awesome. And, of course, going into COVID, the Amazing Spire Talk and um, Spider Slack and, and just everything, like, made that really hard time a lot less stressful than it could have been. So that's awesome, and thank you guys so much. So, again, congratulations on 300, and I can't wait for, like, 3,000 more. I know that's a lot, but it's cool. Oh, okay, that's it. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Dan and Mark. This is Tim from New Jersey. Uh, I I stumbled upon the podcast right as I was getting back into comics by doing a chronological read-through of everything Spider-Man, and I was reading the Romita issues right as you guys were starting up the Ditko season. Um, and the show kind of served as this really nice way to reflect back on each era of Spider-Man as I moved on to the next one. And even when the gap between what I was reading and what you guys were talking about started getting way bigger, I was already hooked on the show at that point. So thank you guys for helping a lifelong Spider-Man fan back into the fold while also earning a lifelong Spider-Talk fan along the way. Congratulations on 300. Hello, Mark and Dan. I just wanted to send you a quick message congratulating you guys on your 300th episode of Amazing Spider Talk. That's an amazing number. I started listening to you guys in the summer of 2017. Uh, I was injured at work and I was kind of laid up for a few months while I was rehabbing. And I kind of fell back in love with reading comics again after like long years of not reading uh, comics overall. I had kind of kept up with Amazing Spider-Man here and there. But uh, yeah, I was delighted to find your podcast and just hear people that were as passionate about the character as I've always been. I've been a web warrior for quite some time now and don't continue to stop anytime soon. 
uh congrats on 300 episodes guys hoping to see 300 more from you and i'll talk to you guys on spider slack hey mark and dan congrats on the 300th episode uh this is jan the man from the amazing spider slack uh, i just wanted to say that you guys are the best spider-man podcast on the internet and it provided me with endless hours of entertainment uh, awesome interviews i think the ron friends episode is one of the best um, podcasts I've ever listened to. So uh, I'm really glad that you guys are celebrating this occasion, and I hope you all the best. Thank you. Mark and Dan, Aaron Carolla here. Congratulations on 300 shows. Your show's awesome. It helped me through the pandemic, as I'm sure it did a lot of your listeners. We appreciate it. And uh, keep pumping them out. Here's to 300 more. Congrats, guys. Hey, it's Patrick from Akron. Just catching up, um, just listening to the uh, Black Cat episode and John Semper. I know he's become your buddy, but this freaking guy, what, do he, what doesn't he claim? He created the Spider-Verse. He made Blade popular. Now he made the Black Cat popular. Oh, this freaking guy. Anyway. Love the show. Great show. Looking forward to some new episodes in season five. Thanks, guys. Later. Hey, Dan and Mark. This is uh, Chris Long from Columbus, Ohio. I just wanted to call and say congratulations on your 300th episode. Um, that's awesome. Really love your uh, podcast. I've been listening since 2017 when you launched the all-new Amazing Spider Talk, and certainly enjoyed it ever since. Um Probably none more so than last year uh, during uh, the pandemic when the world was literally coming to an end. And uh, your, you know, podcast is always a place that I can escape to, um, you know, for some positivity and, you know, talking about obviously one of our favorite topics, which is Spider-Man. And so I want to thank you for always maintaining that, you know, upbeat, you know, vibe of your show. Uh, going through a lot of you know, very tense uh, situations. And, again, I always appreciate uh, the way you try to bring people together. So uh, congratulations again. Looking forward to another 300 episodes. Um, whether you guys like it or not, you got to go another 300. And uh, I'll leave you with this. I think uh, Kindred is really lonesome pinkus. So uh, I'll talk to you guys later. And, again, congratulations. Hey, Mark and Dan. This is Alex Galucky calling you guys from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. I just want to tell you guys congrats on making it to the 300-episode milestone. You've come a long way from giving burglars heart attacks to fighting your old costume in the form of Spider-Man's greatest arch nemesis, according to Avi Arad. And then at the request of your spouses, you've also gotten rid of your new suits and gone back to what it's all about, and that is that the annuals don't count. And yes, I side with Mark on this one. But in all seriousness, um, if I had to pinpoint one memory uh, from the past hundred episodes, I'd say my favorite would have to be uh, Dan and Ron Friends' reading of the Kid Who Collects Spider-Man's uh, script and their um, breakdown. And to have seen it live was a genuinely moving moment for me, and I'll never forget that. And I'm glad to have uh, witnessed it live. And it's also during these... Um, past hundred episodes that I also became a patron on Patreon. And I would encourage anyone listening um, who's not a patron to um, 
go ahead and do that, uh, or at least consider it, because uh, you do get your money's worth, and there's some great moments to come from the live streams, some nice surprises for sure. Um, but yeah, here's to the next hundred, where hopefully your aunt isn't believed to have been an actress hired by maybe the Norman Osborn that's been plaguing Dan, but we'll see. Um, take care, guys. Best of luck to the next hundred. Hey, Dan and Mark. It's Amy Gavazdin, your favorite Gavazdin. Um, I'm just calling to congratulate the both of you on your 300th episode. Um, I feel like my relationship with Dan has kind of aligned with the growth of the show and um, the growth of your friendship and all of your efforts to kind of educate the masses about the history of Spider-Man. So, um, in one way, that's really exciting. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm constantly trying to not cook or burn things while Dan is recording in our office. Um, in any case, um, congratulations to you both. I'm really excited um, for this step, and I can't wait for more episodes. Thanks so much. Bye.